0: What's up, y'all? Welcome to another podcast, Lawns Across America. My name is Alan Hain. I go by the lawn care nut on the internet over by there, and I'll be your host today. (laughs) I always say this in every podcast. It's been a bit, and uh, I'm glad to be back. Today is May something or another, 10th, 11th, so we are working our way through. Had the Kentucky Derby last weekend, which I've always told you guys is my prediction of when the dandelion bloom will be the highest across a good portion of the Midwest. I had a couple folks tweet me and confirm that, that yes, the main dandelion bloom was right around Derby Day, maybe Cinco de Mayo the day before, but sometime in there. So I hope you guys have been having fun knocking out those dandelions. So the thing about dandelions, if you're dealing with those, because you're going to be seeing those white puffball seed heads coming up soon, and that's really where the danger is, is they're going to blast those seeds everywhere, and those seeds, if they land in thin spots in your lawn going to be able to take hold and then next year dandelion will come back they are perennial so the dandelions that you had this year if you didn't kill them they come back year after year they just get bigger thicker their tap roots get deeper and that's the other thing it's not only the seeds but they can spread vegetatively from pieces of that tap root. so if you're picking the tops of them off and the taproot remains, or even a piece of that taproot remains, it will just blast up again, but it just blasts up more. That's why sometimes you'll see dandelions with multiple heads, the old dreaded multiple-headed dandelion. That is one that's been picked or knocked over, and the taproots decided to go a little nuts and get a little crazy and send up extra extra shoots and ladders. <laughs> anyway, so dandelions are one of those that you definitely want to knock out. The thing about it is, is once you do knock them out of your lawn— Uh, They don't typically come back because the idea is you get your lawn thicker. I've said this for years. One of the things that True Green was good about when I did work there in the 90s and 2000s, the one thing that True Green was very good at was knocking out dandelions. It's not hard, a little 2,4-D, a little dicamba action over by there, and they'll they'll pretty much die. They'll twist, curl, and be done. And if you get to them before the seed head bloom, even if you have a sea of dandelions, there's some of you that are listening to this right now, you bought a new house and you didn't know it, until the springtime came, and all of a sudden, there are thousands of dandelions. There are literally lawns that are seas of dandelions, right? Those are ones that haven't been treated in a long time. This may be your lawn, and you're like, holy cow, this is what I bought, this dandelion patch, right? Well, the idea is is if you blanket spray that, yeah, Mr. Chemical, Alan Hayne, the chemical nut, right? But if you do knock those out, if you do kill those, or a good majority of them, don't let them go to seed the next season you will notice a a big difference, I mean a noticeable difference in the amount that, that do come back or do get ahead of you. And it takes about two years of good spraying if you have a really bad dandelion patch. It takes about two years to get it down to the point where you'll just have a few sporadic ones. But if you think about it, that's not that bad. If you take a lawn that's been built up with dandelions and seeded itself with dandelions over and over again for I don't know, house built in what, like 2005 is pretty common in a lot of this country. That's when there was a big boom. So 18 years of neglect, but 18 years of dandelions taking over a lawn. And you guys know you have neighbors that that's them, right? They just mow dandelions. 18 years of that, you can knock that out in two years and get back to a nice lawn. That is actually not too bad when you think about it in that way. And that's part of what this podcast is. I try to get you to look at things a little bit differently. You see the weed problem that you have is daunting, but realize that's 18 years of work that those dandelions put in, and you're wiping out their entire family in just two years. That's actually pretty solid, I think. Now, part of the other piece of that is is you got to get your existing grass thicker, and the quicker you get it thicker... Then the easier it can reduce or easier it can fight for you, the better it can fight for you going forward. And that's where we talk about a dense turf stand. You You hear people say that a dense turf stand is the best defense against weeds. And it's not necessarily the best defense against weeds that already exist in the lawn because a lot of weeds will just tolerate the grass and the grass will just tolerate the weeds, right? It's the future weeds, it's those seeds that the dandelions blow around, for example, they can't rest on good ground they get stuck up in the canopy they get stuck in the thatch layer which is another thing that thatch is good for and and the sun dries them out and they die and so that's where that thicker lawn can work for you and that's why my strategies essentially are um, feeding the lawn pushing it hard with fertilizer to thicken the good grass while simultaneously you're preventing weeds like crabgrass and at the same time spraying weeds with post-emergent herbicides Spraying those weeds to kill what's there. It feels like a lot in the beginning. Now I'm mostly talking to cool season lawns with this. When I'm talking about dandelions, we don't have dandelions in the south, at least not in Florida. Um, but that's the strategy with the cool season lawn. It feels like a lot at first. It feels overwhelming. Like I had to put all this stuff down. Well, yeah, you're 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 literally going against eighteen years of dandelion and weed propagation in a lot of cases and so yes it's it's going to feel like a lot now the other thing people think is well all of this stuff going down is going to burn my lawn because you just feel that way you feel like everything's a chemical and that's another thing you got to get out of your head not everything is a harsh chemical not everything is an eyed, a herbicide those are the ones where you feel you feel like you're doing something that that could be harmful to the grass right but the thing is if you follow the label you're not going to hurt your grass now I'll just tell you, if you have St. Augustine grass, everything hurts it. You could freaking spit on it, and it hurts it. <laughs> so St. Augustine grass, while it is very stoloniferous, and it does like to to take ground, and it's crunchy, and you guys think of, it's a weak grass. It really is. Um, we can talk more about that. But but again, back to the concept there. Putting all that stuff down feels bad, but it's not. The herbicide, it will kill the weeds. It's not going to harm the lawn. In fact, I don't know if I've ever seen a proper application of a herbicide following the label ding kentucky bluegrass or ding turf type tall fescue sure if you have a heat restriction on something and you're over the heat restriction then yes you can get some some tip burn or some ding that's the word i use some ding and uh from from not following the label but if you follow a herbicide and you apply it according to the label um i've i've never seen Damage to cool season grass from a herbicide that you follow the label. Now, again, I haven't used like Tenacity and some of those that turn things white. I'm talking about your basic 2,4 D, Dicamba, MCCPP, yeah, you know me, those types of things that you're going to find in over the counter, over the counter, (laughs) big box store stuff. So, quick little rant, quick little rave there, hopefully to give you guys some encouragement. If you are dealing with weeds, there is a way through it. There is a way to the other end. And I'll give you my last little piece of encouragement. I was, I was this kind of this little talk here came from something I saw on our Facebook group. And it was a guy that that's what, that's kind of what he was talking about. He's like, Hey, I'm making progress. He put up his pictures in the Facebook group and he was feeling good about what he's doing, but he, he had thrown down a couple of things and he's like, "Now I got to go spray weeds. And I feel like that might be a challenge. I feel like that might be a harm. And my advice to him was, Hey man, if you, if you're apprehensive about it, then don't do it. My advice You know, And and again, when you guys know that I talk about weed control, I talk about go to the store, get a concentrate, mix it in water and a battery pump sprayer and spray that way. That's extremely daunting to a lot of people. And I totally get it. It just has this feel, mixing chemicals, having to put on gloves. There's there's something about that that some people, they just don't want to deal with. I totally understand that. So my recommendation to this guy was go to the store and get the pre-mixed gallon. They call it RTU, ready to use pre-mixed gallon of weed control. Um, Roundup for lawns is, is the brand name that you see, which I had a few people when I did that video take me to task in the comments, telling them I'm supporting these terrible companies. But you guys got to read labels. Those of you that complain about that, you need to read labels and you should complain to Home Depot about carrying that because that's pretty much all that's on their shelves is the word Roundup. But back to it, that's a ready to use. You're not mixing anything. It's all sitting there in that gallon for you. And so it's really easy to just get out and spot spray. Now, you're not going to blanket spray a field of dandelions with that, but what you can do is you can work on a few small areas and watch how the dandelions die. Use that as understanding of, oh, okay, so after two days, they're twisted and curled. After three days, they're this. The carcass might turn brown and stay there. It takes me two or three mowings to get rid of them. There's a lot of things you can learn by just spot spraying, or maybe you just work on a few areas that are really bad. The idea is do that as like a stepping stone, and then next year, now that you've had some experience with weed control, understand how it works, that it's not going to, you know, harm your lawn or anything, then you can go to doing an overall blanket spray and mixing. So it's just kind of sometimes it just takes baby steps. And I totally get that. I totally understand where some of y'all are at, how you feel this apprehension. And those of you that are listening to this that are more um, seasoned, you you seasoned DIYers that you don't have these fears anymore. And there's, that's mostly what y'all that listen to this, I believe, are the more mature seasoned DIYers you guys, you can help these young folks. There's a lot of young, I don't want to use the word kids, young men, young women coming into our groups, 31, 32, 33, it's their first house. And because our community has been around as long as it has, we've got some of you all that have been on my programs for five, six, seven years. You're like the old heads of the DIY lawn care community, right? And so you can use that knowledge to actually help these young people. And I think that's pretty awesome. And I see it, by the way, I see it all the time in our Facebook group. I see y'all that do take the time to help these guys. And you give really good advice. Uh, A lot of times better than me, because you know, you live in the same area that person does. And so you're using weather data that you know, you know, I know that we've been struggling with this or that. And here's what I did. It's just really good stuff. So that's part of the joy or the fun of seeing a, a community mature you know, this lawn care community that we've built here has been around now for several years. And so it's just interesting to see the iterations of it, where it goes, and uh, just how you all continue to help each other out as DIYers and homeowners. So really cool stuff. Speaking of homeowners, I uh, have a life uh, change in the works and I'm looking to get a dog. And I wanted to share with you some things that I've been kind of learning going through. (laughs) I've never owned a dog. I'm actually a cat person. Believe it or not, we were raised with cats, and um, I have a funny cat story. When I was young, um, we had a we had two cats growing up, and uh, one was a stray that we rescued, and she uh, she lived with us for about ten years, and she was pretty standoffish. She wasn't super affectionate or anything; just a house cat. She was cool, but we got a, a little kitten, a boy kitten. Um, I was in ninth grade when we got him. We named him Smokey. And um, Smokey was my little pal, and every day I had this habit when I would come home from high school. If you remember back to when you were a high school boy, you were constantly hungry all the time. People asked me when my boys were teenagers, they'd ask me, what do your boys look like? And I would go and stand in front of the cabinets in my house and open the cabinets in my house and shove my head in the cabinet. And I would go, this is what my boys look like, because their heads were always shoved in the cabinets looking for food. Just this thing, you know, you got, you got this growth spurt going on in high school, and you're constantly eating, And not gaining weight, by the way. So my thing was, every day after school, I would eat ham sandwiches. I was addicted to ham sandwiches. Those of you that are from my generation will remember the awesome Kmart ham. Leave me a comment on YouTube if you are a fan of Kmart ham. Now, Kmart's closed now, so I don't know what that ham was. I don't know if there was a brand name to it. I don't know if there was some specific farm that the Kmart ham was coming from. But if you had a Kmart ham sandwich you knew. I don't know. It's It was a special thing. Well, uh, that was the ham that I grew up on. That was the ham that I loved. Publix came along and started carrying better meats towards the time I got to high school. So sometimes we'd get the Kmart ham. Other times it would be Publix honey ham. But either way, I had ham sandwich with mustard and thick mayonnaise. Now, I didn't use the 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 miracle whip spread. We were a real mayonnaise family. We were a Hellman's family. That's another thing I'm, I'm curious about. How many of you grew up on Hellman's Real Mayonnaise, which they called it that real mayonnaise? I thought that was kind of a dig. This is real mayonnaise. <laughs> Versus miracle whip spread. I we were a real mayonnaise family, and I'm I'm the type of person that slogged on a quarter inch thick of mayonnaise. That was me. So it'd be a quarter inch thick of mayonnaise. Two or three slices of ham. If we had cheese, it was just the American plastic cheese, you know, Throw that's in the little plastic slings. Throw that on there. Some plachman's mustard uh, or French's, I guess. I'm not a mustard snob. And white bread and hammer. And I did eat the crusts because I was a real man. I didn't have my mommy peel the crust off for me. But I would eat those ham sandwiches every day. By the way, those of you mayonnaise people, I realize that Duke's is actually the best mayonnaise. I think that's a Carolina thing. We didn't have that as a kid that I remember. My mom didn't buy it. We bought Hellmans, but definitely none of that weird. That uh, I mean, I'm not calling you weird if you grew up with with the with the um, the Miracle Whip. But I know that I had a friend down the street named Neil that his his family was a Miracle Whip family. They also used rye bread. So I stopped eating lunch at my friend Neil's house when I got a sandwich one time that had rye bread with Miracle Whip. I, I literally could I I spit it out. I thought there was something wrong with it. I was like. Nine years old, probably. <laughs> anyway, back to the story about the cat. So my cat, he I found out that Smokey, the cat, he also liked ham. And I'm the kid that, you know, want to make my cat happy. So every day I would come home and I would have a couple ham sandwiches and I'd give a slab of the ham to Smokey and he'd, he'd eat it. And I'd, we'd play games and I'd throw it and he'd fetch it. He was like a dog. Well, unbeknownst to me, little did I know that it only took about 18 months of that and Smokey developed some sort of something on the insides. I don't know if it was the salts in the in the ham that got to him, but obviously they can't eat people food. And when you eat a slab of ham, and it may have been two or three slabs of ham, you know, because I'm a generous fella. Well, when you're giving two or three slabs of ham to your cat every day, it doesn't take very long for whatever's in there to not make it through their insides. And so Smokey the cat <clears throat> had to be put down. And so that was a very sad time for me. <laughs> the funny thing about it is my mom being... A lot like me she's just super straightforward and blunt she uh she goes <laughs> i laugh about it now and she 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 feels so terrible but once we my dad took the cat to the vet because the cat came out one morning and it was just limping and it's going making all these noises so my dad took it to the vet the vet found out what it told us what it was <clears throat> and by when my dad was at the vet he didn't realize i had been feeding the cat ham every day but the vet just told him the insides are all all frozen up or crystallized or something. And this will typically happen when a cat eats a lot of people food. So my dad comes home that afternoon to tell me that the dog passed or the dog that the cat died and that there was a lot of that the vet said that the cat must have got a lot of people food. And my mom, she knew I gave ham to the cat. My dad didn't. He was a fireman, so he was, you know, gone a lot and stuff. And so my mom goes, my mom goes, Well, no wonder the cat died from people food. You feed it ham every day, Alan. And literally, she just basically just said, you killed your cat, dude. That's what my mom said to me. And I was in ninth grade, but I definitely broke down a little bit. And she realized how mean that was for her to just say, you killed your cat with ham. Anyway, I'm probably not doing justice to the story, but I can tell you my mom is, has a lot of guilt <laughs> over that these days. Um, so yeah, so that's the story of how I killed my cat. And I haven't had other than that, I haven't really had any pets in my life. There was a short time where I had a prairie dog as a pet, which was super cool, but super needy. Chinchilla, pretty cool, but uh, those are those are different kind of animals. Well, prairie dogs are actually pretty, pretty cool, but not something I can deal with now. So I'm back to, these days, looking for a real dog. A real dog. <laughs> a dog. And uh, so I've been doing research. Because I'm not a dog person, I'm watching a lot of YouTube videos. I'm trying to understand... You know what the commitment level is? Do I do puppy? Do I do rescue dog? And so yesterday I went and visited with some puppies because I want to kind of understand how that works. And everybody's telling me, oh, you're gonna you're gonna see the puppy and that's gonna be the end of it. You're coming home with it. And I'm like,, mm, I don't know about that, but we'll see. And so I went and I looked at these were um, golden retriever puppies, eleven and twelve weeks old, and uh, two of them were like a cinnamon color and one was a white color. They're very cute, but it, 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 it taught me a few things. Again, I'm not a dog person. So those of you that are dog people that, that don't understand this, like, <laughs> I'm sorry, but I'm in the, they put you in these little, if you've been to these type of pet stores, they put you into this little box area, uh, where, and they give you a couple of toys and they put the dog in there and they go, I'm going to leave you to play with the puppy. And they walk away. Right. Cause they hope that it's like a new car, right? You're going to get that new car smell and you're just going to want the car, um, but for me, the all of these puppies immediately pooped and peed on the ground and uh, got all over. I mean, it, it just became a mess. And I realized, oh, yeah, YouTube videos don't do this justice. And I'm like, you know, from the, I, yeah, I'm not going to go into graphic detail. But these puppies did what puppies do. And uh, yeah, and then there was one that was just super bitey. I'm like, oh gosh, man, this is gonna be a big commitment of training. But then I thought maybe that'd be good. It would be good to have a commitment to something like this to uh to to train and to work with. And and I'm sure I would get a lot out of that experience too. So I'm not without that. But for right now, I did not come home with one of those puppies, even though they're cute. I mean, one of them was like six thousand dollars. I'm like, freaking a six thousand dollars, it better learn how to cook. <laughs> jeez man you know six grand and listen some of y'all listening i know there's people i i, I know a guy at, at, that i worked with at my last company i think he paid like 12 grand for some sort of sniffling dog dog that had like a it was a sniffling dog it was a pretty dog um it's it's one of those ones that all the rich people have that has a pushed in face it's not a it's some sort of bulldog bull, british bulldog english bulldog i don't know they're cute but dude 12 grand bro and for all the and it has all these nose problems and they have to have hips. I don't know. I'm learning, right? Uh, that's why I went with golden retriever. I thought this is like the everyman dog. It's it's medium sized. It's it's friendly. It's smart. They were smart. That's one thing I did notice about these little puppies is that whenever I would talk to the girl that was selling me on the puppy or telling not you know selling me telling me about the puppy and its registration and all that, the dogs would stop for a minute and watch us like they were listening to us talk. And so that was like a sign of intelligence that I thought was really cool. And so there, I, I realize there's a lot of those moments you have when you get a dog. So anyway, no puppies for me right now. So now I have an a, 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 a appointment here coming up with the pound, and I'm going to go look at rescue dogs. Obviously, a lot cheaper, different commitment. Uh, you don't know what you're getting there, right? You don't know what's happened to that dog in the past and what issues you might have to work through with it. So, but you don't have to go through that puppy stage either where you're where you're literally raising a child. So something to think about. The other thing I've noticed that the pound, it seems like good eighty percent of the dogs look like pit bulls. And I don't have an issue with the pit bulls. I don't know about dogs. Like I'm telling you guys. What I know as an outsider is the reputation they have and that sometimes if you have a, a dog that is a pit bull or resembles a pit bull that there are places you can't take the dog the thing about or board the dog there right I understand that so I have to these are all decisions I'm making right these are and so I'm sharing with you guys I'm wondering what you would do what you have learned Twitter's a good place to to tweet me about that stuff I'm Alan Paul there if you're on YouTube leave comments talk to me there tell me what your advice is um if there's YouTube channels you watch you can't put links in the YouTube descriptions but you can tell me the name of the channel you watch. Like if there's a good channel I should watch to learn about these things, I may have already found it, but uh, I'm taking this as a real commitment. I'm not just jumping out and just getting the first thing I see. Uh, I want to. This is a this is a, a living creature that will be in my house, and so I have to 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 be methodical about that. It's got to be a smart decision. So some of what I've been going through there and trying to uh, figure out something new for me. It's good to experience new things and be not being a dog person and getting ready to to work with a dog here. As a pet, as a family member. Again, I, I know I talk in a way like some of you guys are like, man, my dog's like my own kid. I, I've not experienced that, so I don't have those emotional ties. So I don't talk like that yet. Someday I might. But for now, a dog is is more of a a pet still. It's a it's I guess it is a companion. It's um I don't know what I how I think of a dog. I don't know how I place that in my life, right? If I think about the family structure, I don't know where I put a dog yet. But that's something I'm gonna learn. So pretty interesting stuff. All right, a couple quick things been going through the Facebook group, looking at what is coming up. And I want to say, I'm talking to cool season folks here real fast. Seed heads, you guys got to help me with this. I talked earlier in the podcast about how The community is mature now, so you guys know there are these certain things that come around every year. We've kind of been through the Poa anna, Poa Trivialis! We've kind of been through that right now, and I think we're on the backside of that in a lot of cases, and what that is is where people start seeing any light yellowish green spot in their lawn and immediately they think it's poa annua or poa triv or if they don't think that if they just post something and they go hey what's this yellow spot 10 people will tell them oh my god it's poa triv it's over your life is over you're gonna be married to glyphosate the rest of your life you know it's that right and i'm i'm not exaggerating on that (laughs) and it puts people it, it can it gets ugly but whatever it is what it is right it's just part of being in the community there's a lot of you all that will go in and tell people to calm down as well and then there are serious problems with it. Just, it just kind of sucks if you get if you get the issue. So you got that. The next one that's going to come, though, that kind of is on the heels of that is when your regular cool-season grass goes to seed. Now, it's already gone to seed probably in a lot of the transition zone through the Carolinas and Tennessee. Cool-season lawns and fescue, there's going to be seed heads everywhere. But that's going to start to work its way north as the weather continue. You know, you can just f- picture how the weather goes. You'll be watching Ryan Hall, y'all. You understand that it, the big blob is coming or whatever. I love that, dude. So that's the kind of weather, right? It's moving north. So what's going to start happening now is people are going to see these seed heads all over their lawns and they're going to start posting, oh my gosh, what is this weed? Some people will try to pick them. You can imagine picking the seed heads out of a lawn. It's got to be the most, it's got to be scary, honestly. Um, And so what I'm going to ask you all to do is, is to help me with that. Help keep people calm on that and go, no, this is your normal grass going to seed. It's a normal thing. It's actually a healthy thing. However, you want to start mowing really often now. If I always say the more you mow, the healthier lawn will grow. Mow two times a week. The reason I tell you to mow two times a week is because I know what's going to happen is is once you get to the summer and things start going on and family vacations and people coming over for barbecues and all that, you're gonna you're going to be mowing once a week if you're lucky, once every 10 days. So if I can get you going on two times a week now when you have the time, hopefully you fall back to once every week instead of every 10 days or 12. That's the idea. I'm pushing you to an extreme. So when you fail at that extreme, which you will, we all do, then you'll you'll at least fall into an acceptable range. That's the idea, right? I'd rather strive for perfection and fail than to strive for mediocrity and fail. Okay. And succeed. Something there. So with all of that, with all of that thinking right there, you do want to mow more often, at least while the seed heads are up. I mean, I'd mow as soon as I could every three days, bam, 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 because you, what happens is the grass is putting all of this energy into producing those seeds, and it's not putting it into roots, and it's not putting it into top growth or other things, and those seeds will contain a lot of energy, so that's why we mulch to get that back in, but what we want to try to do is discourage it. It will also uh, make it go away faster. You're going to have the second piece of this is you're going to start mowing, like I tell you, but the seed stalks are rough. They're, they're thick because they're, they're thicker because they're made to hold up grass seed. They're not made to open up and photosynthesize. They're made to hold up a stock of seeds and really they're made to get really tall. We just don't let that happen. So what will happen is you'll mow, 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 like I tell you, and then all the seed stocks are left and you, you'll send people will send in pictures. Oh, my lawn is like crunchy. Now the grass blades are like thin. And what is this? That's just the seed stocks keep mowing. Okay. The other question we get, so that's important. The other question I get this time is, is the grass seed viable? And the answer is no, it's sterile. Now, I think it's genetic engineering that's done that. Um, I don't necessarily have specific experience with this, but I've heard old timers say, and John Perry has told me too, that in old school lawns that were seeded, I don't know when the year was. I don't know when it was that some company decided we're going to make all grass seed sterile from now on. I don't know when that time was. But prior to that, grass seed wasn't sterile, and it could actually reseed itself. The challenge is, is that you have to let it grow to maturity. You, and, and, and the stalks might be 8 to 10 inches tall, and you have to let the grass seed dry out to the point where the seeds fall out naturally. And then that can regrow on old school lawns. But you, as a homeowner, will never let your seed stalks grow up to maturity of 10 inches tall and go so brown that the seeds... you you You'd be literally not mowing for weeks on weeks, and that's not going to happen at your house, I would hope. You know, it's it's just not a good look. We're lawn care nuts, right? So the idea of any type of seed at all, in any lawn, sterile or not sterile, reseeding the lawn, is not viable. It will not happen. So don't count on it that way. However, there is energy that's used to create those, so we want to recycle that back into the turf. It's organic material. You always talk about adding organic material. Well, you have a ton of it that's coming right out of those seed heads. Drop them all back in. That's adding to the soil, right? That stuff breaks down Um, adds carbon to the soil, does everything, returns the nutrients. It's part of the cycle. So that's what's most important there. So those are kind of some things that are going to start coming up as we move forward. If you do need to seed your lawn, then you have to pay for it and you can do that in the fall. And that's typically when we recommend that. So also I want to say uh, coming up, we are releasing the fungicide guide or the fungus, how to treat lawn fungus guide. I've rewritten most of that. Um, I haven't actually distributed that one in the last three years because I felt like, what happened was people started seeing brown spots everywhere. And when they'd see a brown spot, they'd immediately think it was a fungus. And I felt like maybe I'm pushing fungicides too hard. I've backed off on my YouTube channel on that. And again, haven't distributed the fungicide guide in a few years, because again, I'm not, even though I talk about chemicals, I do it. uh, And I say chemicals, IDES. The reason I go to the store and talk about fungicides and break them down and talk about the rates and tell you what the active ingredient is. And why do we use two different modes of action The reason I go into all that is so you understand what you are buying at the store. Because for some reason, Home Depot doesn't make those videos. Scott's doesn't make those videos, not in the detail that I do. It's their product. They don't make those videos, right? So because I have an audience that's going to use those products, I feel it's my responsibility then to teach you about them because I use them too, by the way. Most everything I do on my channel is something I'm doing myself. So with that, and, and by the way, if any of you can tell me why Scotts and Home Depot don't do that, maybe because I do it, <laughs> they're like, well, this dumb lawn care nut guy, he's gonna break it. Probably true. I probably sold more Scotts to ZZX than than Jim Hagadorn, the CEO of of Scotts, has. In fact, I can bet you I have. <laughs> Jim, call me, buddy. <laughs> but but anyway, I I I'm going back to. I believe that the education that I was providing was good, but I also think then it might have been. How do I say this? When people when when people see something. They can get this scope creep. Is it scope creep? They can get this tunnel vision. That's the word. They get this scope creep. is another thing. They'll get this tunnel vision where they think everything is a disease, right? Because that's what I'm watching is content on this. And so everything looks like what I'm dealing with. Everything must be the same. It's like a tunnel vision that happens. I think that's what happens. So that's why I've kind of backed off on that. But I am re-releasing the guide. And the first half of it is me basically trying to talk you out of using fungicides, So I think you'll appreciate that. I spend a lot of time on it because it's something that I've pondered for a while and I care about a lot because I don't want to be spreading too many chemicals here and there. However, I do believe there are times when a fungicide should be used, could be used. But again, I spend most of that guide trying to talk you out of it. So check that out. If you're not on my email list, you can go to um, thelawncarenut.com, sign up for the newsletter there. I'll put a link in the description here. If you're on, on YouTube, you can sign up for the newsletter there. My very best content still comes out through my weekly newsletter. That's where I break things down because that's how I learned. Like I, I go down. I mean, I'm genuinely interested in what we do here too. I'll go down the rabbit hole of different active ingredients, who who developed it, why, what does it do, what's different about it, how should how should they, what results should someone expect if it's a weed killer? What does it do to the weeds? Is it a burn down or is it systemic? Does it cause twisting and curling or yellowing or does it whiten things? I get into that right because I'm interested. I want to understand it because I just, I'm just interested in it, genuinely. I, I actually like lawns, just so you guys know. So uh, those are what come out in my newsletter. The stuff that I'm basically pondering and going down deep, that's what comes out in the newsletter. And then sometimes the newsletter is just informational too. Hey, this is what we're seeing with weather across the country. Here's some ideas about what you might want to expect. Here's some ways to get ahead of it, that kind of stuff. So a little bit of this and a little bit of that in the newsletter. One other thing I have coming up here in the near future, probably this week as well, is my Florida blackout plan. For those of you that live in Florida or don't live in Florida but are interested in it because you're going to be coming down here to visit Disney this summer, like 99% of you will. And when you do, you may or may not see people fertilizing. So in Florida, we have fertilizer bands. They're not really fertilizer bands. They're nitrogen and phosphorus bands. You can put down potassium and every other micronutrient. You just can't apply nitrogen or phosphorus between June 1st and September 31st. 30 days have September, April, June thirty, September 30th. <laughs> June 1st and September 30th, no nitrogen, no phosphorus. Now, it's not in every county. However, I can tell you that if you live on a co- in a coastal county or a county that has a lot of rivers running through it, you are probably in a county that has a nitrogen and phosphorus ban. And by the way, most of Florida has rivers running through it. All you have to do is listen to any Jimmy Buffett song, and you understand that. The rivers run out to the the rivers run out to the sea. Where I live, the rivers run out to the Gulf. So with that, what happens is in Florida, uh, I've I've described this before, but those of you that come down here to vacation, you'll know about it because you come down here in the summer and you're like, oh, we're going to go to Disney. We're going to vacation. It's going to be great. We're going to be in the sunshine. We're going to go to the beach, which Disney isn't anywhere near the beach. I don't know how many of y'all figured that out, but you come down and you're going to look at the weather forecast and it's going to predict rain. It's going to be like an 80% chance of rain every day or a 50% chance of rain every single day. And you're like, oh my gosh. Well, what really happens here is you get rain every afternoon for about 20 minutes. It's very rare that we get a full day rain out. Sometimes the rain will last for a couple hours, but typically it's really just going to be 10 to 20 minutes in the afternoon and that 10 to 20 minutes is a heavy downpour and it won't even rain everywhere. The clouds are sometimes so sporadic that they'll only cover like like 10 or 20 square feet and they're just kind of going across. If you go to central Florida, the sod farms, you can really see these thunder boomers building and as they go across, one will drop rain over here and you'll see one over there dropping rain. It's really pretty because Florida is so flat, you can see for miles. That can see for miles and miles miles and you'll see the thunder boomers dropping or even you'll go out to the beach sometimes it'll be super sunny where you are and you look down the beach like 300 yards and it's freaking blue because of the rain coming down dark blue clouds it's really interesting so the rain is sporadic which is also why i've been getting into some interest in weather stations lately and soil sensors and different things like that which i'll have some content coming up on right because i'm trying to understand it's great that i can get weather data in florida from weather stations but they're not accurate because i have times when it rains in my backyard and not my front yard happens all the time in you to any Floridian, they will have that happen multiple times during the year. So with all of that, when it does rain, the the ground is fairly dry. If you have put fertilizer there, our rains are super hard. That's the thing about these 10 to 20 minute rains. They're super hard. That's a technical term, super hard. And I mean downpours and you'll see it and in in the in the um, storm drains will will be not backed up but they will be tested. Um, it's, you've seen these rushing storms. Well, if you just fertilized your lawn with a granular liquid too, I guess, but really granular, that granular is sitting in the lawn and that rushing rain will hammer it and literally wash it out, wash it down the street. It will then go into a storm drain and every storm drain here leads to a river or directly into the Gulf or the Atlantic Ocean, one or the other, or a lake. And that lake then leads to a river. It, it, all of our waterways are connected here and our aquifer is super low anyway. So, That is part of why we have these bans, because when these nutrients get into the waterways, then they can cause algal blooms and things like this, and they can get into making red tide worse. Now, we actually had red tide during the winter this year. So crazy. I was uh, at St. Pete Beach for Christmas, and there was red tide out. It was wild. It was bad, too. That doesn't happen, but it was just a warm winter. So all of these nutrients in the waterways can make the red tides worse. Red tide is a normal thing. It happens here. It happens usually after years when we have a hurricane, which we had one last year. Uh, But the, the nutrient buildup in the waterways can make it worse. Now, there's a lot of debate that goes on about this, and I always read about it. This time of year, they'll start having articles in the news that'll come out about it. Um that's why I educate about the Florida blackouts because whether you believe in that or not like a lot of people blame the sugar plantations if you want to have some fun go read about the sugar lobby in South Florida and 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 draining and how what they've done in the Everglades done to the Everglades there's a lot of things to think about Uh, A lot of people will blame the sugar industry, the sugarcane fields for a lot of this, but it doesn't really matter. The law is what it is. I'm not about politics. I'm not about trying to change a law. I'm just going to follow it. And so that's why, again, I educate. I think I've probably educated more Floridians on the blackouts than anyone else. And that's because I care about our ecosystems. Uh, I love to fish here. I care about our, our sport fishing industry. I care about our tourism industry. I care about all of these things. So I follow the rules. I follow the bands. So I'll be applying here right up until... The end of May, and then I won't apply any nitrogen or phosphorus all through the summer. And that's become a fun challenge to keep the lawn green using iron and some potassium and some micronutrients and some other things to draw out of the humic, to draw some more things out of the soil. It's been fun to do that and experiment and learn over the years. And so I have a guide that kind of gets you through that. How do you keep your lawn green while still following the law? And so that'll be coming out here to, uh, I'll send it to the whole list, but I'll also be sending it to my Florida only list. I do have a Florida only uh, email list, which I can put in the description here on YouTube because I live in Florida, so I do some specific tips. But you guys in Texas might want to join it too. And pretty much any of you that have any kind of grass that want to go in the summer and want to run a zero nitrogen, zero phosphorus program all summer and still keep your green long no matter still keep your green lawn. Even if you have Kentucky bluegrass up in the north, you could still follow the blackout summer plan because it's pretty simple and actually keep a super green lawn without any nitrogen or phosphorus all summer. So you could take that challenge too, even if you don't live in Florida. So that'll be coming out soon. Some fun stuff there. Lots of interesting things we've been talking about here on this podcast. And what I have coming up for you now is an interview with my friend, Cassie Reed. Cassie's been on the program. A couple of times, we've done interviews when she's worked for Scotts. When she's done some different studies for Scotts. Well, I actually sat down with her. She works for Gowan USA now. Gowen makes Sedgehammer. Sedgehammer is a product I've used for years. Even back when I used worked at True Green to knock out yellow and purple nutsedge, and down here in Florida, I use it to knock out green kalinga. She was actually here. It's been over a month ago now. She was actually here. We shot some content. For Gowan, we actually sprayed a bunch of Kalinga. Uh, It's dead now. I'm putting a video together that we did talking about Sedgehammer, how it works, how to use it. I just thought really interesting content and, and a chance for me to work with Gowan USA, which is really cool that content will be coming out. But when Cassie was here, we sat down and we talked and we did a podcast and uh, we kind of talked about what it was like for her. She's just out of college now. So as you guys know, I'm interested in in young people and their, their career tracks. And I've always been that way. I've always been somebody that likes to look at the younger generation and understand how they think, how are they going about entering the job market, especially somebody in the green industry like her, a female in the green industry, especially, which is, Uh, a challenge and can be a challenge right so i like to talk to these to folks like her just understand their thinking process where they're going how they're trying to get there so i can learn things as well because uh these younger folks they're going to be my customers one day so very interesting conversation we had i think you guys will enjoy it pretty pretty eye-opening give me some insight on some different things and so with that we will now go to our interview with cassie reed all right cassie reed welcome back to the podcast (laughs)
1: Live and in person.
0: Yeah, welcome in person this time. So the last time we were talking, you were actually finishing up your master's thesis.
1: You know, I was thinking about it on the way down here. When was that? I mean, I know it was last year, but what month? I don't was know. summer? I have to look
0: it up. I think it was summer.
1: Because I hadn't defended yet. I know that for a fact. Like, I think it was like July. It was July.
0: Yeah, you had definitely not, I didn't know the term was defended, but yeah, you weren't <laughs> finished. You were waiting. You were like right, ready Writing. to go forward for that. So when? Yeah. what time of year was that?
1: So it was definitely July. I remember now I was getting ready to go to Dallas that weekend. So yeah, so it was around 4th of July.
0: So to catch everybody up, tell them what your thesis was and how did your defense oh boy. go? <laughs> tell me how a defense goes. What does that even mean? It sounds threatening.
1: Um, you do it for your master's and your PhD. If you're doing the thesis option, some programs offer the same degree without a thesis. So you do all the classwork and typically some type of presentation, uh, but you don't have to do a trial. And you don't have to write the paper about it. And then you don't have to get in front of your committee and defend why you did it the way you did and what you would have done differently, et cetera, et cetera. So that's what the defense is. And then the thesis is the paper itself for a master's. Um, So that was in October. Um, It was over the ProVista that I'd done with Scots in Ohio. And it was... I would say I started writing. I didn't actually start writing my thesis till probably March. And yeah, it was due October 26th. So I had it done Um, basically all summer is when I was writing. But then uh, to get ready for the defense, um, I think it's really interesting, like now that I've done it, how they do that. Because they're asking you why you did things the way you did Mm -hmm. and now that you're done with your trial you have all these ideas of how you would have done it differently yeah but yet you have to defend why you did it the way you did it because you can't change it um but typically i would say i shouldn't say like 100 percent of the time but typically they don't fail you as long as you put forth effort i feel like and like yeah i mean put forth effort to try to understand the whole point of the master's for an MS degree is to understand that like next layer of thinking. Like you can understand like here's what the plant does. Okay. But why? So that you can go to the next step of how do you fix it or how do you prevent or change whatever it or- the issue is from happening you know fertilize or water whatever your your research is on
0: um So are you not allowed to learn though like you have a so a thesis is like a thesis statement i am going to set out to do this or to show this that's a thesis statement right
1: Yeah yeah you're thinking of like back in school when they taught you like how yeah, to I write Yeah i didn't go to real college so that's
0: why i'm asking <laughs> you <laughs> And so
1: well a lot of people would say a high state isn't real college so
0: Well i don't know we don't have to <laughs> we don't have to go there but <laughs>
1: Um, so like the thesis paper is like, I don't know. Mine was so unique because I did it on a Scott's product when I was working there. So everything about how I went to grad school was not normal compared to everyone else. Typically, honestly, it's you're an undergrad typically and your senior year you decide you want to go to grad school. You know a topic, right? So let's say you want to go for turf. So you go to the turf professor's. At the university you want to go to, and once you get like accepted, you still don't even know what you're doing. Truly, like you might know you're going into grass, Mm -hmm. but whatever turf professors there are, whatever their focus is, um, like I'll just use A and M as an example. Um, Dr. Worley, who I was under, his previous research, he's done a lot of shade work. He's done a lot of stuff with genetics with Ambika there in Dallas, so um and then dr straw is more on like sports turf and athlete surface interaction and safety so okay those are kind of their specialties it's not that they don't know anything else but then they pull funding wherever they have funding from and whatever they need research done on once they have a grad student that's where they put the grad that's student. that's how that
0: works okay and yes. so sometimes companies will fund that research and yep. in the case of you was it scott's that funded that research then
1: no um I could have. They they had Mm -hmm. a certain yearly amount that they could have funded me, but once I graduated, I still had to be at Scotts for three years after I graduated. Gotcha.
0: So so that's so when I
1: figured out I was gonna have to stretch and take longer in school for them to pay for it because they only they only had a limit per year that they would pay for, and it wasn't full time. Like the price of full-time was more than what they'd pay. So then I had to stretch out. It was probably going to take me about four years to finish a master's, which you can do a PhD full-time on your own with that. And then three years after that, I was going to have to stay at Scott's without having to pay them back. And I didn't want to do that. (laughs) Do you
0: know who funded yours? Do they reveal that or no? Do you know where the money came? Oh, you did. Yes. So you paid for this.
1: Very, very big mistake. (laughs)
0: <laughs> All right. Talk to me about, are you, you want to go into this? Yeah, yeah, I'm an open book. Yeah. Well, you're going to help others that are going into the same career field. So
1: yeah, or
0: similar. So tell me how that worked. So you decided I'm going to do the shade study. I want to do it. This is the place so I'm going to do it. So
1: basically I was, this was going into field season in Ohio, like April of 2020, we were deciding what field trials we were going to do. I wasn't in school or anything. Wasn't even thinking about grad school. And I when we set up this trial for the shade trial that ended up being my thesis trial, um, Christian Baldwin, one of my coworkers there Mm -hmm. was like, Cassie, this is a thesis like for a master's degree. Like you should just like explore the option of trying to do that part time while you're at Scott's because it'd be super easy. I can get you in contact with one of the professors there that did shade work. Like it'd be great. So he got me in contact with Dr. Gardner there and I kind of like pondered the idea, but because of my undergrad GPA, I never thought I'd get in. So I was just like, (laughs) I'll apply. What, what hurts going to do to apply? Because nowadays I can't speak for all universities, but it was a little easier to get in than it was 10 years ago. You know, when my mentors tell me about how hard it was for them to get in, you know, you had to take exams, you had to have at least a 3.0 GPA. They wouldn't even look at your paper. It wouldn't even get through the computer system if you did not in undergrad, um, now it was basically i didn't have to take an exam and it was very based off of my recommendation letters so my okay. co-workers at scott's wrote very very long good recommendation letters and i think with that plus uh you know dr gardner i brought him out to scott's and showed him the trial showed him what i was going to do and everything and i think like he was interested in it and it was a little um easier for him with me doing it at scott's i think because my coworkers were obviously going to help me a lot with it. Right. And I think that's just like for him to just be on the committee and make sure yeah. from a university standpoint, things are good. It was probably a lot easier. So he was all for it.
0: Well, and he gets to discover something new. Yeah. Himself. And be a part of that. Yeah. yeah.
1: And, uh, you know, close by, I mean, about 40 minute drive from campus to, to Scott. So it's not like it was across the country or anything like that. And, um, Then I was uh, accepted and I was like, huh, okay. So I'm going back to school. This won't be that bad. At this point, I had been out of undergrad for two two years. And um, I was like, oh, like, how am I going to pay for this? Like, this is going to be a lot of money to go back to school. And I was like, well, I'll just do the same thing as undergrad and take loans out. So Hmm. in undergrad, I took federal loans and private loans uh, because I never applied for any scholarships. No one ever told me in high school about scholarships.
0: Oh, wow. Didn't,
1: Didn't even know. I thought you only got scholarships- if you were like a 4.0 high school student, like I thought. Hmm. So I didn't even think about them in high school. And uh, my parents had no money saved up for college. They never went to college, so they just didn't even think about it. And my brother is older than me, and he never went to college. And so, yeah, I took out loans. I had over $100,000 of student loan debt just from my undergrad.
0: Wow, okay.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so my private loans... For anybody listening, think about going to school. Don't ever take out Sally Mae loans. Their interest rates are fourteen to fifteen percent. That's like that's more than a house, right?
0: That's a lot more than a house. Yes, a house is like six. <laughs> like and even people in this market, crazy. yeah. Wow. Yeah, so that's like a bad car loan is fourteen percent. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So you did that, and so you're just trying to make your way. You don't really have anybody that's kind of able to give you advice. Yeah, I don't know
1: what else to do. You're just and doing what you got. I do. definitely i explored the idea of scott's paying for it like i talked to like you know the lady that does all the financials with it like i really did explore it before i started that fall semester um i don't like the idea of being trapped um and that whole you have to be here three years without paying it back i'm in my now you're
0: trapped under that debt though it's like (laughs) But, I mean, again, you're young. You don't but know. But that's not they
1: how I see it. Well, that's not you're, how I see debt. Because you're learning life. Because okay, I don't know my life it. without debt Okay. as an adult. Like, I mean, I had that's to That's really pay sad for, to me, just so you know. That's, yeah. it's,
0: I'm, not, I'm not downing you. I'm saying that's no, sad that I'm, that's how you have yeah, to do it. Yeah, I'm just it. being
1: transparent. You yeah. know, ever since... I mean, what, you know, once I got a car, I think I was a junior once I turned 16 and got a car. Like, I paid for my own gas. I paid for my own stuff. But then, yeah, ever since I've been to college, like... I guess when I was in undergrad, I wasn't in debt technically because the loans hadn't gone through and I wasn't paying on them. Mm -hmm. You know, they're not due till after you graduate. But yeah, I really don't know what it's like to not have debt. Um, So I explored it, but I was like, man, like I would be 30 and still at Scott's. And my biggest fear was I go through that phase of, gosh, at the time I was 22, 23, between 23 and 30 years old. And then I never leave because how do you spend seven of those growing years of your life and then leave? You see right. it all the time. People, people get married and they find out like they're, they they do not want to be with their spouse anymore, but they're in their forties and they're like, well, what am I going to do? Leave and start over now. Mm-hmm. You hear it all the time, just with different scenarios. And I was like, I don't want to be stuck in Ohio the rest of my life. I love that state. I love where I grew up. I'm a diehard Buckeye, but I have, I have, like very very little traveled just this country and there's so much more out there to see to learn people to meet and i was just too afraid of being stuck and i was like you know uh, this is like sound really really bad but someday my parents are going to pass away and i'll be able to sell the farm and i'll have the money to pay off the debt okay it might be I might be 40. I mean, my dad's 70 years old. It's not going to be that long. <laughs> like, I'm not, I'm not <laughs> so waiting terrible. on it. Look at
0: it. I get you. All <laughs> I'm right. not
1: waiting on it. So I'm not hoping for it. But I know the day will come. And it's like, so I know the debt will go away eventually. Um, when that happens, it happens. But yeah, I, I just couldn't stand being stuck. So I took out loans. And then, so I was there fall of 20, spring of 21, and sp- fall of 21, Um, I was enrolled in those semesters at Ohio State, and then, yeah, it was a lot to, I think I talked to you about this a little bit last time, it was just a lot to do with my job, and I let some people that are no longer at Scott's, but uh, some people get in my head, I think, about whether or not I could do both, and that's probably my biggest regret in life, is quitting both of those and moving to Texas. I probably don't have any other regrets in my life, actually. Um, which like I know that sounds like cocky to say. It's not that I don't we well, like, haven't
0: been alive that long, so <laughs> <laughs> you're you got time.
1: <laughs> it's not that I don't like think about like, oh, I shouldn't have done that to to certain things, but the feeling of like regret like every single day I woke up when I like moved to Texas for the first six months, I'd say, especially the first like four to five, I woke up and was just like, why did I do this? This was such a mistake. Mm-hmm. and it was like i left a job where the the job itself and what i was doing on a daily basis i truly loved but a very very toxic work environment yeah
0: but you, you like know. working for scotts and you did find some good mentors there because they're still yeah your friends they're, today. S- they're yeah. still in my life right. yeah
1: and that that was hard to leave i wasn't done learning from them to be honest like i could have been there another three years and and learned from them a lot and Yeah, I thought I wanted to be in sports turf, and nothing against the sports turf industry. All of those people that work in that industry are a better person than me, and I fully will admit that, that I cannot do what they do, you know? There's this girl that um, I'm friends with. She's the head groundskeeper for the Reno, Nevada Aces, Mm -hmm. for that AAA baseball team out there, and she loves what she does. And when I say that girl works a lot, I mean, like, I couldn't even – count the hours that that she works, but it is non stop in crappy weather and she's maintaining I mean they got uh three sixty five SS out there like bluegrass like um in Nevada? Yeah, and it looks well, amazing. It's well it's Reno so dry. is yeah.
0: Yeah, there's no humidity to burn yes. it down. Yeah. Yeah, it's like salt Lake. And of course they have yeah. irrigation, so
1: yeah. um but, I mean, yeah, it's beautiful. And there's a lot of times where I'll see her pictures and I'm jealous. But the thing that I, I learned going to Texas was I thought I wanted to get in sports turf based off of pictures I was seeing on Twitter of okay. all these groundskeepers, right? And obviously, and they some are, of there's them- There a lot of them on yeah. Twitter.
0: Yeah. it's cool to watch what they do. You're like, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. But you see the finished product or-
1: Or the, nowadays, they're making TikToks and stuff, you know, yeah. of like the process. And even the process looks fun. It does. But, yeah, because they have
0: all the coolest equipment, and yeah, <laughs> right, you
1: know. But what they're not putting on there, and because they can, like, it's not their fault, is like the fact that they went to sleep at three a.m. and they had to get up at six a.m. And the fact the athletes that they have to deal with, you know, mm-hmm. like, and not all athletes are like this. Every place is different, but athletes are cocky, and a lot of them don't care. And well, a lot or sometimes of they want to blame. Don't, they want to blame
0: somebody. If, oh if my they're gosh! Not playing. Well, we just saw the Super like Bowl. Like a Super Bowl. Yeah. Yes. Yeah.
1: I mean the the stress that went behind it and it was my biggest thing in life is i know like even when it just comes to turf i have so much to learn and i just wasn't learning and i knew it wasn't going to change it was go get the job done and work around the athlete's schedule and the job was mowing or dirt work or you're paying your dues painting right? paying lines. your
0: dues doing yeah. the grunt work to start with
1: and the the head guy, it's not the head guy that's there anymore, but the head guy that was there at the time, um, the head groundskeeper at A&M, he said something to me once in... And- Uh, I'll never forget it it was like uh, we were hosting a softball tournament so this wasn't wasn't A&M's softball team that did this but it was like a high school softball team you know we were hosting their tournaments or whatever Oh
0: yeah that travel ball is huge
1: yeah and that's the thing it's like I was so clueless and it's it's hilarious how naive I was at the time of like just thinking like in my mind I was like oh like softball okay so like March, April, May, like that'll be softball season. Well, I got there January 1st. Practice was already started. It was freezing in Texas at that time, like frostbite toes constantly. Like when you're watering the dirt all the time, you're wet. Mm-hmm. It's cold. Like it's bad. And, um, I didn't think about all the tournaments that they host, the high schoolers that come in, like the fall ball that happens. Like, I didn't think that it was an all year long sport for every single one of the sports, especially in the South. Those travel teams? The travel teams huge. From the North too, like the colleges will come down for, uh, what do they call them, imitations and stuff down South. Most of them are in Florida, but there's some in Texas too. And so it was just constant, constant. And we had this high school team come in. And this girl, so we paint the lines with chalk and we paint the lines and she comes by with her cleat just after we just finish. And I like pick up the paint and she comes by and she goes with her cleat and she just completely messes up the line and then looks at me and smirks. And I turned to my boss, like the head groundskeeper at the time. And I was like, you know, that's not okay. Right. Like I'm seconds away from hitting her and she's a high school girl. <laughs> like, wow. Okay. Like someone needs to teach her, you know, manners or Respect, something. Yeah. yeah. Like, and, uh, he's like, Nope, we don't do that. You go back through and you redo the line. Cause we provide a customer service. And I was like, Nope, it's not for me then. And that's when I realized I'll never be in a restaurant industry or anything where if someone's going to disrespect me, you're going to learn a lesson because that's how I was raised. Like, mm, okay. Um, you know, anytime I disrespected my parents, I learned a lesson. You know, like, and yet I didn't understand it as a kid. But now I just, I cannot be in an industry like that where. You're not even seen like the work that those people do, like, and I didn't even do anything, but the ones that have been doing it for years, I mean, they're not even seen. And then, you know, you have this big showcase like the Super Bowl, and it's just, you're just shot down for anything you do by people who know nothing about what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Nothing. I mean, one of the biggest things I hear in life is how easy it is to grow grass. (laughs) And I'm like, oh my gosh, growing grass, like probably the hardest thing if you want it to look perfect especially if athletes are playing on it. Yeah,
0: because that's a whole different thing when you have playability. It's one thing to make it look nice in a home lawn, but now when you have people that are playing on it, now you have to have a certain—
1: injuries matter.
0: Correct. So it's a really different level there. And then you get into golf and a different type of playability— Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. so you're watching twitter and you're like wow that looks like glamorous yeah you could be you could be the groundskeeper of red Sox park or whatever you're thinking you know i'm a
1: big football girl so i'm thinking about all the nfl teams and like which ones are natural grass still where can i go to where like i can like campaign to keep it natural grass or whatever
0: (laughs) and yeah that's the dreams you have though that's good yeah
1: yeah and Now, looking back over a year later, I'm thankful I did it because otherwise I would have spent the rest of my life thinking, what if... Mm -hmm. you know, oh, I should do this, I should do this, I should do this. So now I know I'm never getting back into any sports turf. Um,
0: So you did the sports turf, and so while you're doing that at A&M, that's also you're doing your master's at the same time. So that's kind of like you are working. It was never the plan. But that's what you're doing. You're working your way through But by
1: March, I was accepted to start summer semester of 22 at A&M, yeah.
0: While you're still working grounds.
1: That was the plan, and I I talked to my bosses there and was like, you know, I'm not going to be able to work as many hours as I am here right now and do it successfully so if you're not okay with me cutting back you know like this I need to do school is Mm -hmm. is what I was saying and at the time that I asked that which I remember it was like mid-May I think so I was already like I was like two weeks out from starting summer semester so I was like I kind of need to know like Cause I need to find another source of income. Mm -hmm. If you don't want me working here, like you can't like let me go between now and December, and I don't have a source of income to pay rent, you know. And uh, we were hourly at the time, so in my mind, if I'm cutting back on hours, like that's I'm losing out on that, you know, of pay. But they were getting ready come September to try and switch us all to salary, just Uh like a higher salary is what they're saying. So if We're all getting paid the same. All the full time people are getting paid somewhat the same salary, but I'm working less hours because I'm in school. They didn't really seem that fair, and I don't blame them. And I was like, I don't think that I'm going back to school to better myself in the sports turf industry. I think I'm wanting to get back into something else. So, you know, I, I don't think I can do this job anymore. And um, I had no idea what I was going to do at that time. I was like, "Gosh, I'm like going to Orange Theory, asking if I can work at the front desk. Like I'm going to go work at Smoothie King or HEB <laughs> or something. Yeah, whatever like, you have to do to get by. Yeah, to to pay the bills. And you know, nobody really talks about like. And I felt very, uh, I don't know if ungrateful is the right word, but nobody really talks about taking a step back in life. For lack of better terms because mm-hmm. that's what i saw it as whether or not it was like i don't fault anybody else if any of my friends told me they were going through the same thing like oh i quit my job and i'm going to finish school so i'm going to work at the grocery store to pay my bills i wouldn't judge them but for me it was like that regret of remembering where i was last year where i felt like i kind of had my life together i was in school i had a good job at scott's i liked where i lived i liked what i was doing i felt like i was good at you what were I was adulting doing. i was improving yeah, yeah i was like dang, for, like, 23, like, this ain't bad, like, Mm -hmm. okay, and now I'm working in freaking a college town in Texas by myself, I'm about to go, you know, work at a grocery store, I was, like, I could not, like, get it through my head that it was, like, okay, like, I was so disappointed in myself, so I went and talked to the professor there, and he was, like, well, why don't you just come work for us, like, at the turf lab there, where the the research station is, and, like, we'll pay you the same as what you were making at um, athletics but you know you're not going to get all the overtime like you're not going to work overtime or whatever and I was like done because at the end of the day I was going to be making the same at the grocery store that's the thing about those college towns is yeah you're lucky to be making 10 bucks yeah, especially so well in Texas yeah so I'm like closer. okay well I'll stay in <laughs> turf at least yeah. you know it's still not uh the best situation but I I can you know live with that one so come June I started working there and I had a summer semester and Uh, I had like eight credit hours while I was working full-time there. Summer was pretty hard because there was a ton of research going on. So I was truly putting in 40 hours of work there. And then I'd have to go home in the evenings and do all my homework. And then Saturdays and Sundays I had to write. So it was nonstop. And I was like, what was getting me through it is come July, I could actually see the light. Like I could, crap, I have two months till I defend. Like Mm -hmm. I have to do this, you know, it was a priority. There was no procrastinating or... I wasn't going to graduate. And that was the cool part about living in a place I didn't like because it pushed me to get out of there. Yeah, makes you sense. know, if yep. I was like, mm, you know, I'm happy, I'm content, like whatever, if I don't finish in December, I'll finish next May, no big deal. There and I told my professor day in and day out, I will be out of college station by January 1. Like I absolutely will be finishing in December. And yeah, so I ended up defending in Um, October and my defense was done end of October and then I still had classes. So I finished up my first final in December and got out of there December 2nd.
0: Now I want to get to where you are, but I want to go back to something because that was a nice, uh, Talk there because I think that's gonna help a lot of young people that are mm-hmm. going even if they're not going in turf grass science, just in general. Mm-hmm. Just kind of this is the path you've taken and what you've well, learned.
1: I'll add to that, you know, mm-hmm. I moved to Texas and you have to live I don't know if every state is like this, but you have to live in the state of where you're going to school a year at Texas. To be considered a resident. Yeah. So yeah. I was paying out of state tuition. And that wow. was another reason why that was kind of the the reason that I used to my advisor of like this is it was like sixteen thousand in the summer and like 18,000 in the fall, like that's crazy because the amount of like classwork I was actually doing, like that's how many, that's how much it costs. But credit hours wise, like most of my credit hours in the fall were research hours, which Mm -hmm. research hours are either meant for you to do the research or like if you're still in your trial work or to write. So I'm paying to, 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 write. to not get anything from A&M. You right. know what I mean? Like to do my own work. Like I'm, yep. I'm paying myself. You're paying for
0: their endorsement. <laughs> yeah. Yep.
1: Yeah. I'm paying for that Kyle Field, that new stadium coming.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, A lot of what you're talking about, it's just interesting to see how your generation looks at things. Um, and let's go back to then, I want to go back to, so you, you go to defend, I want to go back to the thesis idea. Mm-hmm. So you're, you write your thesis, you do your study, when you go to defend, what is it exactly that you're defending? Tell me what that entails. You go in front of a board, so and they've you, read your paper or your. How you long is this thing?
1: Uh, they. I don't want to speak for PhDs too. I just this is just masters, just uh-huh. to be clear. For some of the PhD comments on this, <laughs> um, they blocked off four hours um for it so what i did was i had to make a presentation and the whole presentation was you set up your trials so you talk about the background why why are you doing this? Why yeah, is what this a need of in industry? Okay. You know, so mine is why is shade a problem? Cause shade is all around us, right? Like, so you define, oh, you're going back that simple. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And then for me, mine was on the DLI. So I've got to explain to people, you, you kind of do it and anyone's invited to this part. DLI. Yeah. What's daily it? light integral. Okay. So how much light a plant receives in a day. Okay. But it's a, it's a tool to measure that with. A oh, number. that's right. We talked about that yeah, last with thing. the yep. sensors and everything. So anyone can come to this, like the whole university could have walked in if they wanted to, but nobody comes to the turf ones.
0: But if they wanted to learn, they could. That's yes. part of this. Yes. Okay.
1: So I'm talking to people as whether they do or not, as if they know nothing, you know, so I've got to gotcha. explain what that is and explain why I did, you know, the split plot design, like et cetera, et cetera. And then the methods. So I explained how often I mowed it, what, what measurements I took why I took them that whole thing and then you go through your results so you run all the statistics on all of your results so like for example obviously because provista has the dwarf gene in it I took heights and that was a huge measurement of mine was how much were we growing under 90% shade versus conventional. So Mm -hmm. then you've got to take all those, you know, every single week. And for the two years of that trial, I went out and I took heights on every single one of those. And then you've got to combine all that data and run stats on it. And there's no one way, right way to run the stats. So that's what your
0: writing is. Oh, well, that's what stats are. They're just levers. You pull however you want to pull them.
1: I absolutely hate that. Yeah, absolutely hate it. You don't like stats. Okay. That's right. that's why I knock on wood will not go get my PhDs because of the stats.
0: <laughs> I got you. Um, so, but you did that. So you have to interpret the. You get the data, then you have to then interpret you have to talk it. Talk about it. What it right? means. Okay. Why
1: you think it turned out that way? Right. Mm-hmm. Like mine was easy to write about because the data did what I thought it should. Okay. We were we were half we grew half the light in shade versus conventional. Um, it even it was interesting once Provista hit. 90% shade it was it went from 70% shade to 90% but once it hit 90 it just like stopped growing so it huh. it it grew just like conventional did from full sun to 70 just half as much mm-hmm. but once it hit 90 conventional grew even more too but in it. it went down in height so it was just like it tapped out and it's yeah, just like still good color still good coverage and everything just not growing so you know, stuff like that, like I have to explain results like that. Um
0: and so when so they've already read the people on the panel or whoever it is that you're Yeah, that so they're a committee. Read it. They're a committee. They've they're read not like it. a
1: board or anything with the university, they're a committee. And every university has different rules as to who can or can't or should be on your committee. So at Ohio State I had two professors, one of them was my advisor turf professors but then i had matt and christian from scotts because high state allowed outside um, university employees to be on your committee and that worked out perfectly Mm -hmm. at a&m they didn't so I still worked with Matt and Christian to make sure they were good with how I was writing about things, but they weren't a part of like a lot of meetings or anything like sure. that. So I just had at AM you had to have two people within your department. So I had the two turf grass guys, but then you had to have someone outside of a department. So I had like a plant pathologist be on mine. So they come and then all the students come, like whoever you give that presentation and then, you know, all the students, everyone not on your committee can ask any questions or whatever. And mm-hmm. then you go into another room with your committee and they ask you a bunch of questions and you're defending your answers. That's kind of why it's called a defense. Makes sense. Yeah. So they're um, asking, why'd
0: you do it this way? Or why wouldn't you have tried this or that? They start
1: to- with those, which are the easier ones. Okay. And then they just go into random questions <laughs> to see about your knowledge, asking you uh-huh. about genetics or turf grass. Okay. Um, I think they're supposed to be pretty similar to your area of specialties, whatever your research is on. Um, I think I had a little bit of an advantage given the fact that I defended at a because I was working with a product that they don't really know a lot about.
0: Mm, okay. Um, well, and it's unique anyway, even if they did know about it.
1: So. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas like uh, my advisor at high estate, worked with the old bent grass so he knew a lot about it so if i would have defended it high state it might have been a little different than it was at a&m um whether or not it was easy or not who knows but i
0: have i should ask this before at a&m were you doing the kentucky bluegrass or the st augustine it was the st augustine wasn't it
1: so this is the complicated part my trial was in 2020 and 2021 in marysville at scott's on the bluegrass it was okay yes I was just, once I moved to Texas, I didn't change anything other than I was living in Texas, my degrees from A&M, but I was still writing about
0: everything I gotcha. did Gotcha. That makes sense. Okay. Yeah. I understand how that works. All right. So that's cool. So you got all that done. You're in major debt now, and uh, <laughs> yeah. someday your parents will pay that off when they leave you a farm. <laughs> that's where we're at. <laughs> I mean, that's how we're going <laughs> to- I got to yeah. make sure they don't listen to this. Yeah, right. That's that, that's that generational thing, but hey, that's all good. That's all good. But uh, so that's, that's where you are now. You are kind of at your first job out of that, right? So tell Out me, of my master's, yeah. Yeah, out of that, so tell me where you're at and how you came to do this.
1: Yeah, well, um, what you're doing. I think um, September, August, September is when I realized like I'm making these deadlines. I'm getting out of here in December. And so I've got to have a job. Yeah, because the last thing I was going to do is go work at a grocery store with a master's degree. And I, that sounds so bad. It's not that I think I'm better than people. It's more how I see myself. I'm not comparing myself to anyone else. Mm-hmm. But it's like I didn't just go through all that work to stay in College Station and not have a job like that was my mindset.
0: So it's okay to feel that way when you're young, like you are. When <laughs> when you're young. We, well, no, we just say you're full of <laughs> piss and vinegar you just you're taking on the world oh just, that's rah, interesting it's okay to be that way yeah you're not looking down on anyone it's just that's no, just how yeah. you are you're just aggressive that way
1: yeah like what? i never go to a grocery store and treat them differently because no, they work there of like you don't. I, yeah i don't right i don't care about them it's more about like what right. i want that's for what myself you want. sure and so gosh I, I had an interview in florida with the um, extension over in Boca Raton. Or however you pronounce it boca raton yeah
0: <laughs> you don't want to live on that coast anyway but. Whoa,
1: you want to talk about expensive mm-hmm. see that's the thing when you apply to these Very. jobs and you know, i had like out of 50 states i was willing to move to like 25 so like i'm applying to jobs all over places that i've never been before so i'm going through the interview process and i need to prepare myself that if i get offered of the job what i'm going to do because you never are given more than a week to decide And that's not enough time to figure out the cost of living there. Can you afford it on that salary? Do you need to ask for more money? All those things. How am I going to move there? How far it is from the place I was in, Texas, you know, to Florida? Like, that's across the country. Like, that's an expensive move. Not as far as, like, if I move to Dallas, you know, three hours away. Like, I need to figure out, like, costs. So, I'm, like, every single job that I'm, like, into the second or third interview of, I'm, like, basically pretending like I'm moving there and trying to get get a cost and everything for. So, it was almost, like... I wasn't even thinking about the job itself. And if I wanted the job, I was just like, can I live there? Can I afford to live there? Can I get myself there? Because mm, okay. I had no money, no savings, nothing. Like, I'm not afraid to admit it. There's no point in lying. Like, I had nothing. So I had to figure out how I was going to get there all on my own. Because I don't have, like, people that are just, who's going to help me move, right? So I had an interview in Florida. I had an interview in Phoenix. Um, I had a couple in Ohio. I had two in Florida, actually, with... Uh, Sod Solutions was one of them. Yeah. That was probably like one that I was really about to take um, and live down around Sarasota. So it was yeah, very got ironic. that new
0: Citra Blue they're pushing big yeah. time. So it's pretty stuff.
1: Very ironic too, because that's definitely Provista's competitor.
0: <laughs> it, it it sure is. So <laughs> oh, I remember it's darker green. Blue. That one was
1: like, <laughs> I think they were just like moving a little slow, and I d- wasn't sure they were going to make my timeline. Mm-hmm. Um, they weren't even sure if they could make it. Um, yeah, I had one with In View. Um, Bayer and view whatever and uh they were like yeah there's absolutely no way like you would get hired like February at best and I was Mm -hmm. like I just don't want to like also you're just saying that that's the timeline there's no guarantee that I would get the job you know so what if I wait till February and then you give to someone else and then here I am stuck with a job in College Station you know so I ended up uh applying to one with gowan usa and it didn't even say like where the location was it just said you know territory manager sales representative um and i was like okay well you know i read the description i meet the qualifications so i'll just apply for it and have an interview and uh i thought it was a little odd whenever i got the request uh for the interview like the first interview was just like uh through teams or whatever on video and it was from the president
0: Oh, okay. And I was like, okay, that's good.
1: Yeah, I was like, sure, like I'll I'll take this and
0: big chemical company get to talk to the president on your interview. That's cool. Yeah,
1: I'm like, all right. So I was like, well, if anything, this is a good interview learning experience, right? You know. Um, and I ended up having a really good conversation with him. I could tell he was it was a little hard to read. I guarantee he's gonna listen to this and find this hilarious, but <laughs> um, he's a he was a little hard to read, like. Doesn't show his emotions on his face. So you can't really tell what he's thinking. Um, but I remember a couple of days after that, he had contacted me and asked me, they were going to fly me up to Kansas city. That's where his office was. The headquarters in USA is in Yuma, Arizona. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you know where that is, but it is border of Mexico, border, yeah. like South. Yep. Um, but he has an office in Kansas city. So he's like, we'll fly you up here for a couple of days. Um, get get you in a hotel and do an interview with a couple people in this office if if you're up for it, and I'm like, sure. This interview, I can't remember the exact date, but I know it was around Halloween. So pushing like December, right? So we're getting close. And I've got like some other possible offers on the table, but they just like, aren't like, nothing's in writing set in stone, mm-hmm. but it was very close with other things. And I was like, you know, I should just go up there and do this. They're paying for it. Like it's it's two nights, like quick trip. Like I should just do it because if anything, it'll probably be a really good experience for me because I'll, none of my interviews were in person you know, everything, I think right. probably just cause I was doing out of state, but also with COVID, like nothing. we used to it now. Yeah, yeah. I'm not, I'm an in-person person. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, well I'll do it. And fly up there and it was the most unique and honestly it was just like really refreshing interview because he takes me out to breakfast before we go do the interview stuff. And we're probably at breakfast two hours and he never once asked me anything about related to the job or anything interviewee wise. It was just getting to know me and like how I grew up, like everything like that, Mm -hmm. just trying to, you know, figure out who I am. And that was just like a breath of fresh air you know, because everyone's always like, well, where do you see yourself in five years? And I'm (laughs) like, I'm in my twenties. I have no idea. Like, you know, and so it was just really, really nice. I could tell he cared. He has daughters that are my exact age. So he kind of has that, like, how were you raised differently than them? You know, like, Mm -hmm. you know, how can I help you kind of mindset, very Midwestern mindset. And I enjoyed it. And gosh, I went through, it was like a six hour interview process and it felt like 30 minutes. I mean, with all of them, they're all very, very nice. And I could just tell that Gowan was different than all these big superpower companies like your Syngenta and your Bayer. Um, they cared about who you are as a person, I could tell. And, you know, if anything ever happens to you on a personal level, take care of that and we'll handle things, you know, at the company while, while you're gone. Like, I could just tell. Um, I could also tell that I could be myself, um, you know. I don't want to say anything gets them in trouble, but they (laughs) they had no filter. So Mm -hmm. if they have no filter when they're interviewing someone, then you know it's probably even more open when you actually do work there, right? And I could just tell, you know, if the president's sitting there with no filter, then, and that's who I will report to, it turns out, then I think... It'll all work out. Like I think I can be myself, and that well, you was need really to be in a sales job,
0: right? Because it's a relationship job. So you need exactly. to be able to. You don't want to be too corporate. Exactly. You know.
1: Yeah, and that's not how it works at other companies. They still expect you to go by this. You know, they'll hand you this paper of here's the steps to sales, and you need to open with a line like this and do. And it's <laughs> the just
0: trial close. Oh yeah. my gosh,
1: yes. <laughs> and that is just not my personality, and I could just tell that even though that wasn't kind of my plan. I, everybody told me that I should be an extension. Um, so I was kind of going down that route, but I kind of wanted to still stay in research. But the problem with research and turf grass is everybody wants you to have a PhD. Mm. I mean, they, they, it's just, I don't understand it now that I've had a master's and I have so many friends that have PhDs. There's not that much of a difference other than a longer trial and a longer actual paper. Um, yes, you're putting in more work, of course, but it's not like, I mean, the difference in what I know now post-masters than post-bachelors is huge. Like, I see the difference in those two, but I don't know. Like, so a lot of these research jobs require PhDs and I just wasn't getting them, you know, it, all it takes is one person with a PhD to apply to that and they'll give right. it to them. Um, so I was like, well, okay, like, you know, I'll, I'll give it a shot. I'll think about it this weekend and see. And, I was up there on a Friday and they called me Monday morning and offered it to me. And I was like, okay, like give me a few days. And, um, you know, I really thought about it and I was like, it was the Midwest territory. So from Ohio to Kentucky, all the way over to the Dakotas, uh, Nebraska, Kansas, oh, Missouri, that's a nice area. So 13 States. Yeah. Um, there's only four TNO reps for the whole country. So it was a huge territory and I was like, you know, where can I live? Um, can you guys help me move up there? Like that kind of thing. And he was like, you can live anywhere within your territory. Um, he's like, you know, obviously we'd probably like you to live in the major cities, like for airport reasons. And I was like, well, I'm not going to move to Billings you right. know like <laughs> middle of nowhere so or Fargo or whatever and uh he thought that I was going to go back to one of the cities in Ohio yeah and I was like no no no, no. you must not listen very much <laughs> whenever yeah. I told you about my whole life and I was like no I'll, I'll probably come to Kansas City to be honest and he's like I would prefer that because that's where the office is so right. we're there as a resource if you ever need us mm-hmm. Um, so I took it and I moved there december 2nd. I had a final that was december 9th And I got it moved earlier so that I could leave earlier.
0: Wow. You were yeah. ready to go
1: Well, I th- went up there yeah, and uh, looked for apartments the weekend before thanksgiving and all the apartments were start Like all their deals they had were if you sign starting in december So i'm like well i'm not gonna not live there and also like I don't want to pay rent in texas and mm-hmm. there So i'm like well, i'll just move up there <laughs> I was just thankful my professor allowed me to do it. Um, So, yeah, I'm the Turf and Order Middle um, Midwest sales rep for Gowan now, and moved to Kansas City in December. And honestly, I love it. Like it, the company turned out to be exactly what I thought, which is a breath of fresh air for myself to not be wrong about something again. Um, (laughs) I'm still in the honeymoon phase by all means. I mean, gosh, we're only into March, but, um, I think I'll give it, you know, three to five years, um, there to see what I can kind of make of it because it takes a while to build those relationships with your customers. And I have Mm -hmm. such a big territory. It's not like I'm just covering Missouri or Kansas or something. Um, that it's going to take me. I mean, I, I won't be able to see all my customers in one year.
0: I was going to ask, so how often are you traveling? Are you on the road every week?
1: <laughs> um, so December, I basically didn't do anything. Like, I didn't leave. It was just kind of like getting myself s- settled and trying to meet everyone within my company. Mm-hmm. And then... January and February were all meetings and conferences. So I've come to find out between November and April are really a lot of conferences that we go to as a team or internal conferences. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah.
0: Understanding company goals, yep. what you're what you're going to do for the year, if yep. you have any new products coming out and yeah. kind of stuff. Yep.
1: Yeah, so that's what I've been doing and it's been nonstop. Um, I try really hard not to book anything over a Saturday or Sunday so that I'm always home on a Saturday or Sunday. And then I try really hard to only do three or four days in a row. Um, mm-hmm. Just doesn't always work out like that, um, especially with the conferences. You don't really get to choose, you know, when they are and when you can leave and stuff for them.
0: But with um, customers, so when you go, have you get, been to see some customers? Yeah, already? I just what's started your... like three weeks ago. So what's your goal? You, you, you have a list of all of your customers and yeah. what they're currently buying, what they don't. Have what their needs are. I mean, because I'm sure you're visiting everything from golf courses to school districts to, lawn landscapers and lawn care. I mean, what what are you? What is your goal?
1: So what we do is we work with distributors. So, oh, you're working with distributors. Okay, yeah, not so, end users. And, gotcha. and every territory okay. is different. But uh-huh. like, um you know, for example, uh, have you heard of BWI? Oh yeah.
0: Yeah, Helena. Yep. Yep.
1: Like those are some of my biggest ones within my territory because they're
0: based in the Midwest. Yeah. Okay.
1: Well, that's where some of their offices are. are they yeah. might have offices in other, the other uh, sales reps' I territories, gotcha. too. Okay. But within the ones within my territory, they're one of my biggest customers. And then, like, down in the south, the southern guy lives in um, Auburn. And one of his biggest ones is Southern Ag, which you've probably yeah, heard they're, of. Yeah, they're right here. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So, um, we work with the distributors. And a lot of what I do is um, going to be going with their sales reps and because making sure they know Gowan's products, um, what products they specifically have of ours. Like right now, we have 13 TNO products. If they're a strictly turf company, they don't have our ornamental products, right? Or vice versa. So understanding the our products, the label that they're using them right, um, especially because they could be new, right? So they you're could, educating essentially. Yeah. 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 And making sure that they understand it and then doing ride alongs with them to go to the end user too. So if they're turf going to the golf course or the homeowner or whatever, but then with the ornamentals going to the nurseries and the greenhouses with all those growers, um, and making sure that they're using them properly. Uh, that's the biggest thing is educating and building relationships. Um, that's something that Gowan, uh, feels very strongly about is making sure that they see us differently than those power companies, because we want to provide knowledge to them um, and not just be a point of sale, you Mm -hmm. know, um, build this relationship so that they can trust us and um, understand that, you know, we have the knowledge um, and that we're willing to give it to them. So
0: yeah, the way I look at it is kind of like doctors have pharmaceutical reps and I know that's probably the worst (laughs) analogy. But if you just look at what the basis of it is supposed to be, a doctor needs continuing education. And a lot of times, this continuing education has come from the pharmaceutical reps, good or bad. You're doing the same thing. You're educating people on, hey, this is what we're hearing out of the Midwest on these different studies. And here's how we've used our products for that. Or or maybe it's just things that you're hearing in general. This Mm -hmm. year year was a mild winter. We're hearing grubs are going to be really bad. There's just things that you just see and hear that that person may not. So you're just there to educate them that way too, right? Yeah. And be a resource.
1: Yeah. The hardest part so far, um, a couple things I'd say first is knowing where the heck to go win because yeah. I have such a large territory. And even within like one of our ornamental um, customers, plant products, they're just everywhere. Like all of their um i mean gosh all of my customers they they're not just like up we're out of kansas city these are where all our sales reps are they drive within like a two-hour range like no they've got every single city basically within my territory they have a branch and then they've got reps within that branch Mm -hmm. so i'm trying to hit all those branches hit all those reps figure out you know, contact the branch manager and figure out who needs me first. Like who needs me now? So I can go there now. And it's like, at first I was like, well, maybe I'll start like around Kansas city and work my way East or start East and work my way back. But like, I can already see it's not going to work like that. It's like, whoever is available, that's where I'm going to go. So it's like one month I might be in Minnesota the whole freaking time it might seem. And the next month I'll be in Chicago. Like a lot of back and forth a lot of it i've come to realize i think within my territory is going to be flying to places Mm -hmm. um kansas city just opened a new airport actually i don't know if you heard about that it's amazing so everybody everybody's flying to kansas city or (laughs) um but they are having a lot of direct flights especially with southwest who i fly into like chicago and i think detroit's one of them columbus is one of them i think indianapolis is one of them so those are like day trips that i can make just like Mm -hmm. you know fly into indy you know drive up to wherever and visit with those guys make sure they're good for a few hours take them to lunch fly back home like something i've never experienced before yeah it's a
0: different lifestyle yeah
1: it's taking it's going to take me the whole year to get used to it first i was like six months and i'm like nope it's gonna take me the whole year um I have to have an open mindset about it and just like laugh at little things when I forget things, you know, because every single trip I'm going on, some- I forget something important, you know, like, and it's like you're running on this like different mindset of like not being in a routine, mm-hmm. but still trying to remember things from your routine, if that makes sense. Totally. Like you know, going to the gym is hard and keeping up with that. Just like your whole lifestyle changes. And it's going to take me a long time to get used to that because it's not like I have the whole month planned out every month. And I'm like, this is where I'm going this week, this week, this week. And I can plan everything else in my life around that. It's like Friday, I find out I need to go to this place on Monday or Tuesday morning. I need to go to this place on Friday. Like it, it's a little last minute. And I'm sure as I'm, you know, yeah, you'll the role, get that worked out yeah, as, you go. as they, they know to just call me and, and plan it ahead of time. But um that's probably like one of the biggest things um but overall i would say like it's just a very very good place to be and a good company to work for so i'm very very thankful
0: yeah that's awesome so you're here and i you're here because we're going to work with Sedgehammer. so let's yeah. talk a little bit about that and i looked at some of the other product offerings that Gowan makes i hadn't heard of any of them so <laughs> and that doesn't mean anything not like i'm some sort of expert but i can tell you that Sedgehammer i've been using since i yeah. worked for true green years yeah. and years ago and in fact we used to spike it in we our guys would always take a hand can that had maybe like some D or dicam in it yes. for spot sprays but we, guys that had problems with sedges we would always give them in the morning a nice little spike of Sedgehammer. And, and literally back then we had the the bottle i was it five ounces or whatever the small bottle is and it had a scoop that was one gallon so if they had a two gallon spot sprayer with them we would just give them two scoops to spike the yeah, sedge hammer in, a scoop in it, yeah yeah and so it was just easy because not everybody got it because not yeah. everybody needed it but we'd yeah. spike it. so i'm saying i've used it for that long so you're everybody here. has it now what's that everybody has it now yeah it's i mean it's a it's a household name yeah well a household name it is <laughs> i guess in our industry so Talk to me a little bit about that. We're gonna we're gonna work with Sedgehammer, but what do you know about it? Why is it so great? And I know we're here to talk about some of the smaller offerings and everything, but just tell everybody yeah. what a little bit more about it.
1: Sedgehammer is an interesting one because yeah, you know, I worked with it at Scotts. Like we used it on all of our stuff. We, we had Sedge like crazy up there. Mm-hmm. Um, and i thought i knew a lot about it before i came here but then you get with these guys that have had it since it came out you know all these superintendents and stuff and even our distributors who have had it you know since since Gowan got it yeah and uh then you find out you don't know that much <laughs> and it's like you know you don't want to go into a place thinking you know more than someone but i've definitely already learned like like even if I think I might know, cause I obviously know way more about the turf industry than I do the ornamentals. And I'm very upfront about like, this is what my experiences is, is. And whenever I meet with these guys, you know, it's not ornamentals, but I'm willing to learn from you. But sometimes I'll go into like a turf setting and like, it'll be such a breath of fresh air to not be in the ornamentals. Mm-hmm, you right. know, it's like, oh yeah, I know comfort this, zone. right? hundred yeah. percent in the comfort zone. And then like, you'll find out like, you'll hear something, you know, about, about how it works or whatever. And you're just like, wow, I didn't know that. Like, and that just goes back to there's always something more to learn, you know? Um, so Sedgehammer, yeah. Halo stuff you're on. Um, It's definitely one of the most popular ones for sedge itself. Um, I think the biggest thing that I have heard about it though, from customers, especially end users, I mean, gosh, I hear, I see it on your Facebook group all the time is that it takes too long Mm -hmm. to work. And the way I see it is like, would you rather do a quick fix and use something like, uh, Solve zone dismiss dismisses mm-hmm. dismiss. Yeah, yeah dismiss works really well. Um, would you? That's a quick fix in my mind. So that's more of a burn down. Correct. Or are you going to use something that if you have patience, see. People have to have patience with lawn it's gotta care. it's got to get
0: down deep to those nutlets yes. down there. I agree.
1: Yeah, and that's what it does. You know, it mm-hmm. translocates through those leaves down into the shoots, into the nutlets. And it's going to take three weeks um, for you to see, you know, 10 to 14 days probably until you see yellowing, but three to four weeks until it's completely killed. You know, another thing is people are like, people hate it so much because it grows so much taller than their grass, um, especially up north, that they mow their grass more often. Or they try to pull them. Right. And people just don't realize that when you're pulling them, those nutlets are still in the ground. You're leaving the growing point. So they're just going to grow right back.
0: Well, and at some points it ticks them off. So they grow up double.
1: Fast too. They, it's,
0: a, it's a stress response. Yeah. Like, oh, we need to multiply. Something's going yeah, on.
1: Yeah. The plant wants to grow. Correct. It doesn't think it's a weed. <laughs> you know, <Yeah. laughs> it doesn't know that it's not wanted. So it's like, all right, you know, I'm going to produce more and faster too. Mm-hmm. And then, um, yeah, so they mow too much and then they're mowing and they're spraying. They're mowing and then they're spraying. And, you know, they get this, the bottle that covers a whole acre for their tiny little Mm -hmm. 5,000 square foot lawn. And so they're just like, well, I have the product, I paid for it, so I'm just going to keep add into my little one gallon tank and spraying it and mowing it and spraying it and mowing it. And what you're doing when you mow that off, you're not allowing it to translocate down into its growth Correct. point. Yep. So they're just completely stopping what they're doing. You know, they're reversing their spray, basically. So a lot of little tidbits like that that hopefully, you know, when we do the YouTube video later, we'll, we'll go through
0: for them. So. Yeah, with the burn down stuff, Dismiss, I've used before, and yep. it does work. Mm-hmm. The, the challenge you have is you have a lot of heat restriction there for sure. Especially with St. Augustine grass. And I've always had residual damage with dismiss to my St. Augustine. Even uh-huh. if I spray in the morning, it doesn't matter. I always yeah, you probably
1: residual. can't use uh zone like speed zone down here because mm. it probably just lights everything up. Yeah, that was it's... my favorite product up north. <laughs> just, I mean, you just watch it happen in the summer in Ohio. It just lights it up because it's that fast acting.
0: Right. Yeah. So that's the problem with the burn downs. You're right. People mow it off too. Yeah. So with, with the burn, or I'm sorry, it with the burn down, it stops too soon. It's like so fast yeah. that it burns its way out. Yeah. Like it doesn't get deep. Yep. Where the house, if you're on it's slower. Yep. But you, but but literally, I have never had residual damage to my turf either when using sedge hammer halosafiron. So yeah, yeah, it's very interesting very you to tell people to to be slow. What I tell them is, you're going to spray it and you're going to leave it alone, and you're going to see the sedge there for a couple of weeks, and then all of a sudden one day you're going to be out and it's just going to be gone. That's what happens. It's just gone. You're like, where did it go? Because it, it's ideally, just gone after three weeks.
1: Ideally, people should plan vacations. Yeah, around the time of their set applications apply it, and then go on vacation, and then when you come back, it's all gone. See you later.
0: <laughs> if I got a three week vacation, that'd yeah, be nice. I know. <laughs>
1: but even like if you could just be gone for like a week, like. But a lot of these people, you know, they're especially homeowners. Your followers, they're really into it, so they're looking at that weed multiple times a day, right. every single day, especially on the weekend. And I get it like it's it's going to bother you if it goes away. But wouldn't you rather just wait four weeks for it to go away permanently rather than be tackling it the entire season, you know? Yeah, totally. So
0: good stuff. And that's so we're going to talk about the little single use. I call them single use packets. I don't know if that's what you call them. They're gallon packets, right?
1: Yeah, they cover a thousand square feet. So
0: put that in a gallon of water comes with surfactant included, right? Yes. That's the big one that I think people forget, too. When they yes. have the bigger bottle, they forget they need to add their own surfactant.
1: And we have seen that with the bottle that has no surfactant in it, and people don't know that, like a, a lot of people don't even think to add to it or whatever, if it's used without that surfactant, we'll see a decrease in efficiency by 30%. Yeah, I believe it. So, the, I mean, when people are using those packets that, you know, have used the bottle before and don't understand that one of them has a surfactant and one doesn't, and then they see a difference. They think it's two different products, you know, two different active ingredients or whatever. And like, right. no, nope, it's just Sedgehammer plus. And what that plus means, it's plus surfactant. So easy enough. Yeah.
0: Good. Well, I'm looking forward to going out and spraying. We have two spots, one in my yard uh-huh. that is literally a Kalinga. Kalinga is a sedge for those of y'all that are listening. It's what we have here in Florida. And it's, I think it's worse than the yellow nut sedge that grows like clumpy. Because I'm excited to see it then. It looks like turf. I have a spot that mm-hmm. you could lay in it and it looks like tall fescue. Really? It <laughs> feels it's that, like it It's too. that
1: wide leaves.
0: No, it's not wide leaves. It's like the thin, tall fescue. I don't know. Maybe it's not fine tall fescue. Fine fescue? Yeah. Maybe it's fine fescue. Uh. It feels like that. It looks like turf grass. So okay. I'm looking forward to killing it though. And we got a spot in my neighbor's lawn we're going to spray too. So we're going to make some video for y'all listening. We're going to make some videos about mm-hmm. that and showing how that works, which should be really cool. So... um. Cassie, anything else you want to add? This has been a really great conversation. I think it's going to help a lot of people. Like I said, there's, well, there's, so my average, the average person in my audience is is younger. You know, there, there are people that are really? looking. Yeah. So they're all men and they're all <laughs> well, like yeah. 28 to 32. So I they're didn't like, know that. yeah, that's the big. I have a lot of older folks too but uh-huh. it's mostly men first time homeowners yeah. people looking to start their home starting families but they're and also so. people that are starting careers like huh. you so I think they they can learn a lot from it so mm. you've, you've taught me a lot because like I said I didn't go to real college really so <laughs> like I just ask you because I'm just wondering what y'all got to go through and
1: uh, well it's also funny to hear you asking me about that because anyone that knows me like school's not my thing whatsoever um, I said you know that's why I knock on wood about getting my PhD I'm sure I'll get my PhD someday um, knowing me because I just like to challenge myself and you know get myself out of my comfort zone uh I, that is like probably my biggest advice to anyone is if like you can be unhappy and comfortable at the same time like if you really think about a time in your life where you couldn't make a change but yet you were unhappy and you're like why can I not like get myself out of this situation regardless of what the, the issue is um people we as humans get so comfortable in situations and it's so hard just to take that leap and make a change. But like when you grow as a person is when you're uncomfortable yeah so very good very wise oh my gosh getting uncomfortable is just like if i think i can't do it or i don't want to do it or it'd be hard to start doing it or to make that change whatever it is like i push myself to do it because you grow so much like the amount that i've grown since i was especially out of undergrad but even like in when i look back to who i was in high school like if you would have showed me, you know, like an image of who I would be whenever I was like 16, I wouldn't even believe it. There's no way just because I've made myself get uncomfortable so much. Yeah. Um,
0: true leaders are the ones that are willing to do the hard things. Yeah. And when you, you'll see the, the more responsibility you get in your life, you have to do more hard things. Yes. And uh, you have to talk yourself into it sometimes, but it's, that's how you grow. You're right. Comfort is, is there's quotes about comfort being like the greatest stagnation or the greatest stop to the greatest uh, hindrance to success. There's like quotes like that. Comfort is the true. enemy
1: of progress. There
0: you go. Who said that? Some smart I PhD probably. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but for a lot of people, like school's easy. The classwork is easy. You know, they they get A's and B's with hardly even trying like whether it was high school or college even once it got into like a lot of my friends that knew me in undergrad are like wow Cassie's getting her master's like that is not the Cassie I know like it's amazing once you find something you love how good you are and I'm like nope you're still misunderstanding I put in twice the effort in my master's program that I did in undergrad I was out partying and going to football games in (laughs) undergrad like so I just didn't try now I'm trying to get those C's and B's like it's not easy but like that's why I have to do it, you know, in order to, and I don't believe everybody needs to go to college. I do not believe everybody should be in debt, you know, to have the good job. I just, when I fell in love with turf grass, I knew I didn't want to leave it and any path I took, a master's degree helped me, whether it was sure. financially or to be able to move up within a company or even get hired within a company, at least a master's degree was going to allow me open a lot more doors for me that's what it know? did yeah
0: and i think now uh my advice to you would be and i know you're already doing this is you're going to meet a lot of great people yeah and the and you already have at scotts yeah. you have people that are your mentors for life there and you're going to meet some now that are going to be your clients or you're going to meet people at Absolutely. Gowan, And that's how you're going to be a VP of something one day or a CEO or own your own business, because you're going to have these relationships with these people that know things that you don't, but are willing to teach you. Help you. Yep. Yeah. So, so yeah, in that, in that regard, if the master's degree opened up doors to get you to, to more relationships like that, then Mm -hmm. it's definitely worth it.
1: And that's another thing too, the entire, I think you kind of consider it the green industry, you know, anything turf related as a whole is so small. Like you never want to burn, you never want to majorly burn bridges or which is hard to do with like a blunt personality. Um, but you never want to, you know, burn those because you always want to have colleagues, mentors, friends, um, cause you never know where you'll be in five, 10, 20 years, um, where you'll need that, you know, in your career or even in your personal life. So,
0: yeah, well, you'll find too that, when you are blunt like that, you are going to say things that offend people. And For even, sure. But the, the true leaders will understand that yeah, and they'll, and they'll be like, okay, I was like that too. Well, they, I think they get it.
1: That's the thing about Galen. I think my boss, I think uh, he knows that I still have growing up to do. Yeah. So I think he gives me a little bit of leeway that's and good. I don't see it. It's a good boss. Um, yeah. I've, I've seen it. I've seen myself grow a lot in the, the past four years. I'm still, I still have a lot left to do and it's, Kind of funny because looking back, I'll like catch myself stop saying things in front of certain people. Mm -hmm. Whereas four years ago, I would say anything and everything imaginable, and there was (laughs) a lot of people at Scott's that did not like that, and I didn't even know what I was doing. Like I was not intentionally being mean; I was just blunt, spoke my opinion, and I was yeah, I was just like, "What's the issue here?" (laughs) Like, uh, but I think my boss now is very much like trying to help me, and like "Mm, you probably shouldn't say that kind of thing, like. Rather than like, you know, hating me for it, I guess, or telling me like, you know, you you can't say those things. Um just a, a different avenue of teaching, I guess, that exactly. I appreciate. So
0: Well, you sounds like you're very lucky to be there and they're lucky yeah. to have you. So Yeah. Can't wait to hear what you learned since you just started traveling. So now you get to learn I that know. road life. I know. You better get that right credit card so you can go in the club. I don't know how Southwest happens. I'm just gonna excise to travel thirty weeks a year, so quite a bit. You you need I was a Delta man. Got to get that Delta Club, I'm telling you. That's the game changer for being on the road It's going in the Delta Club. That's probably
1: another one of the hardest things. So (laughs) companies do it differently. Scott's had a corporate card and it was all through Concur that you submitted receipts Ugh. for, right? Ugh. I liked that.
0: You liked the, Concur? Ugh.
1: Yes. I know. Everybody hates it. Ugh. The only thing, and that's why my boss doesn't, <laughs> doesn't do it that way because he hates Concur. But the only thing I didn't like about that is it gave you limits. Like you only had $15 you could spend on breakfast. Yeah. Only $25 for lunch. Only $40 for dinner. Yeah. And I'm not saying Gowans out there like spend everything. <laughs> like, But there's no like... Punishment, I guess, if you spend over fifteen dollars for dinner, like there's there's none of that because you, everything's on your own card and you submit expense reports. Well, yeah, that's nice. Gosh, I feel like I'm eighteen years old again, learning money because every, I mean, you have to take a picture of every receipt, upload mm-hmm. it on this expense report on Monday, otherwise I'm not getting that money Friday, and it's on my own card, right? right? So I have to pay that off, and like I've already made the mistake of like forgetting one Friday to pay the card off but not remembering that I forgot. And then like the next Friday, I'm like, why do I owe so much on this card that I'm using only for work when I pay them off? Mm-hmm. It took me like days to go back through receipts and out. expense reports and figure out, oh, you never paid it. It's in your checking and you spent the money in your checking because you thought you paid it. So like I was down like $1,200 all on my own Did they fault. teach
0: you about balancing a checkbook at that master's degree college or what? <laughs> no,
1: see, this is my issues <laughs> with higher education. <laughs> we can have a little rant about higher education because the things that I've learned help me grow grass, <laughs> grow grass and think a little bit differently when it comes to my professional career. But when it comes to paying bills or anything about money, nope. Nobody tell me it. They don't teach that in high school either, which no, I just anymore, find huh? that fascinating.
0: Well, I'll teach you something. So you, since you have your own credit card that yeah. you're allowed to use, you got to get the, the right. It's an American Express Platinum. Now, there's a yearly fee on it. I yeah. think it's $350. Oh, wow. That's to, an
1: expensive annual it fee. It is, My but you gosh. have to do
0: the math because you get free drinks in the club. So,
1: In what club? In
0: the Delta Club. So when like you have Delta. that American Express card. Now, I think you have to look at which one it is. But you, uh, this is the secret. You, you ever see people that always fly first class? They're always yes. flying in the Delta Yes, they club. want to be the... They're not rich people. They just have the right credit card. And that a good they, job. <laughs> they build up the right yeah. miles on. Yeah. And so you have that privilege since so you're allowed. So
1: everybody tells me, because I, when I tell them I fly Southwest, they're like, oh, you got to get the Southwest credit card. Like, because then you just use that for all your food and yeah, So I don't know how the wor- that one like, works. But. So it's all like rapid rewards points, but... Because of my student loan debt, I can't get, like, most credit cards. I can't uh, get approved. And I so you. I got approved for, I think it's, like, my bank is Chase, and it's a Chase IHG card. Yeah. So, like, for all those hotels. So mm-hmm. I'm racking up tons of hotel points. Okay, so you're doing the same points. thing
0: there. You're getting that. Yep. Yeah,
1: like, tons of hotel points, but I'm not racking up, like, flight miles or anything with it. And it's such a low credit limit. Like, it's $2,000 credit limit. Well, like when you travel every week for work, like that's why it's so important like that I have to submit those expense reports every Monday to get that money back because it's like, sometimes I'm having to use like my debit card when i travel for work because i've maxed out the two thousand dollars and i'm like looks, my you God, you're
0: bringing back memories for me when i was your age like i had you when you're juggling money and stuff okay well, and it's
1: funny because it's I, almost
0: like ptsd i'm getting from this I
1: was, in, <laughs> I was in phoenix with dave last week and dave's our western uh sales rep and i was telling him about this i was like i keep asking my bank for like a a credit limit increase you know yeah. and they're like no look at your debt <laughs> i'm like i know i have a lot of debt but i promise i'm paying it i'm only using the card for work thanks in- banks don't care
0: well it's interesting because you it I, you don't think about that you here you are you're out here with a real job that requires <laughs> you, you to do that no, i think don't. about it no i don't yeah. i'm saying like you have a real job that's this is that you need to have these resources yeah and you can't get them because of the debt. I mean, that's a challenge like,
1: right now. Like mm. at least 5,000 would help me because like sometimes like, especially this time of anybody, year, anybody,
0: anybody listening from Chase Bank mm.
1: <laughs> sponsor <laughs> me. <laughs> um, those, uh, cause it's spring break. A lot of the stuff is more expensive right now. Like everywhere. Like I went to Phoenix last well, you week. You came here and, at the
0: wrong time. Yeah. Oh yes. That's yeah. why I
1: told you I couldn't stay Friday night. I was like, I have to go back home because it was like $450 for one more well, night. You are
0: in Sarasota. So.
1: <laughs> and i i was like even looking way up like north of bradenton so i mean i was like you are like an hour without traffic from the beach why is it so expensive i don't know but i was like i gotta switch my flight and go back home earlier because i'm not putting that on my credit card right but i was like i could have done it if i would have had a higher credit limit increase
0: and then here i am going oh just get the 350 fifty dollar a year card so all right so (laughs) when you make it well i
1: can expense the annual fee so well
0: there you go so when you make it to director level (laughs) like next year next year (laughs) okay what's your boss? His name Steve Steve when she makes it to the director's level next year no you get that particular card because you're gonna find that as you travel a lot you're gonna need the club and I know it sounds like the club is all alcohol and it is so they have really good mimosas but but really it's it's just a place where you have better internet much better internet yeah they have like actual showers and stuff because you can be on the road a lot you'll start living in the Delta Club yeah and uh, and I you're mean, a Delta guy I enjoyed that well whatever club Delta sponsor em. yeah <laughs> whatever uh, club you join but uh, anyway I always tell people that because that's the secret and then over time as you're charging things up you will get enough miles uh, you'll get status you'll start being in first class and yeah there you go then it's fun then you're then you're one of those high rollers with all the you know every everything's just in a carry-on bag you're not still checking oh boy are you you still checking bags
1: love this one (laughs) love this one so so. you are
0: checking bags (laughs) oh gosh
1: I've flown a few times with Steve like when we went to Yuma and stuff so you can fly into Yuma but I'm such a southwest girl because I'm really trying to get that companion pass I guess for what companion no (laughs) idea but it's just like a a thing to chase I guess that's why they do it yeah and there's I I mean that's like a lot of a hundred flights in a year like if I fly a hundred flights in a year I mean it'll be December by the time I get there it's literally but,
0: once a week. Yeah, uh, yeah
1: I'm, I'm. I guess I'm already at like twelve. So, mm-hmm. but um, we fly into Phoenix because we fly Southwest and we drive the three hours down to Yuma. So a couple, you know, we went to the uh, GIS show in Orlando. So he's mm-hmm. gone to a couple things with us and. He's like every time we like drive together, he's got to wait on me because I've got my checked bag. And Orlando sucks because yeah, of does. all the kids, all the and Disney just, and stuff. Yeah. I hate that airport, <laughs> but um kansas city always takes forever well in the old airport it always took forever too for your bags to come and it was just like and i get just get like absolutely railed by him and all the others of like you're gonna learn you can fit everything in a check bag i can't i cannot do it i have too much stuff in the shower all my makeup everything like that i get yelled at every time by the tsa guys if i try to put it in a check bag i finally got pre-check and that was like an (laughs) absolute level up in my life because it takes like 90 seconds to five minutes regardless of the airport to get through yep. so now i've like mastered how close i can cut it there you
0: go and you got all these shortcuts when you get to the parking lot your shortcut to get in oh
1: absolutely like i have absolutely mastered like i pulled in at like 7 39 and we boarded at eight and i made it like i made it had time to pee get water With Like check bag too yeah you got it i Man. have got it figured out so i'm really proud of that so like <laughs> In my mind I'm like until something happens. So this is kind of like my problem. I wait until I get like shot down and like something bad happens to me before <laughs> I learn. I have all these mentors in my life like you don't you don't need to check a bag. You don't need to check a bag, you know? Like you don't need to do that. But instead of just listening to them and not checking a bag, what I'm going to do is wait till my luggage gets stolen to one learn your day own lesson to learn my lesson. Yeah. Very stubborn. It's probably my biggest flaw, biggest toxic trait is I do not listen to people. I have to learn the hard way.
0: That's not wrong with that. <clears throat> well, you're gonna learn that the way that you pack is you roll. I don't Nobody even know. Nobody's taught you.
1: Cubes. That. Everybody keeps telling me to get packing cubes. Just roll.
0: Everything is rolled. Everything is rolled. That's how you and do like,
1: it. St- Steve knows. I mean, you can tell he has daughters because he goes, uh, how many shoes you got? <laughs> Everywhere we go, how many shoes you got? And, like, my last trip when I went to Phoenix, I had a bachelorette party attached to it in Scottsdale. Oh, okay. That's
0: a whole nother issue.
1: Yeah. And I was like, he, like, asked me because I texted him. I left the day the new airport opened on the 28th. And I was like, this airport's awesome. And he's like, check a bag. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. I was like, "You, that's not fair. Just to be clear, like, I have bunch of stuff i have to bring different outfits every day for this four-day bachelor you know trip or whatever and he's like so how many and i was like i think it's like six with the ones on my feet you know and that thing 49 pounds you're Uh, right there and i could barely shut it
0: (laughs) all right well that we'll talk again in a year and all of that will be different i know
1: i can't wait to see how much of a different person i am (laughs) when i learn all my lessons Just
0: learning you should i'm gonna we'll end with this i want you to watch the movie it's called up in the air with with George Clooney I
1: think I think last time you recommended yeah it's just
0: it. a, it's a travel movie it's like he's a traveling salesman he gives sales pitches in hotel rooms across the country uh and wow. or, yeah it's just an interesting I can do that you'll learn that's you'll how learn. you learn how to travel yeah. so all right Cassie well we're gonna go and kill some weeds now yeah so that'll be fun so again thanks for coming no, on I thanks for catching up me. yeah and uh we'll see you on the next one Sounds good. Thank you. All right, y'all. There you go. Hope you enjoyed this podcast. Got some tips in there for you. Got a little interview action. Got some more coming up here for you. Again, I really do enjoy doing these podcasts. I always say I'm going to do more, so I'll say that again at the end of this one. Yes, I'm going to do more at some point. (laughs) Until then, I hope you guys have a great rest of your day. Hope you have a great rest of your week. Hope you get to throw her down and enjoy the mo. I'll see you in the lawn.